Blog Talk Radio. There is nothing more intoxicating than the meld of emotions and sensations that is Friday night. Friday night is the sound of that crowd, the pride of that community, the way that that grass smells. I've never felt in my adult life the way that I felt on Friday nights. That's what those kids are playing for. They're playing for that emotion. They're playing for that brotherhood and all of that sensory input that comes from Friday night. That's why they're playing high school football in this country. It is this common thread that weaves through the American fabric. Whether you live in Compton, California, or you live in Appalachia, if you played the game at the high school level, you have this common bond of representing that community. Anyone who disparages where the game is based on myriad reasons. I'm not buying it. I'm around the game every day on these campuses. I see the impact it has on these young men. I see the way that these coaches are able to grow high school boys into NFL or professional men. And it's just beautiful. is in the building. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. It's time now for an all-new Southern Sports Central. I'm Richie Alvin alongside Eugene Benton as we're coming to you live from the Factory Sports and Fitness Training Studios here in Somerville, South Carolina. Of course, you can find us over there on Facebook. That's Southern Sports Central and on Twitter at SO Sports Central. Doing a little picture taken from time to time over on the gram. That's Instagram at Southern Sports Central as well. I'm going to bring him in now, Eugene, of course, uh, is hanging tight at Studio B. He's over in Park Circle as the storms roll between Somerville to North Charleston to the beach. It is definitely a wet but yet loud evening here in the Low Country. Yeah, it's uh, starting to pick up a little bit here. I think it's uh, coming from your your direction this way. We're getting some wind now, starting to rain. I hear a couple of uh, claps of thunder, but um, what an interesting day, man. <laughs> There was some, uh, some schools started back today virtually, um, you know, and, and just seeing some of the pictures of the first day back to school pictures, man, it's just, it's a very uh, auspicious beginning. I'll just say that. And, um, but, you know, you know, I was talking to Coach Smitty earlier, you know, it's just kind of a thing. Well, you know, we'll get through it. You know, we can't change it. Can't do anything about it today, but, uh, you know, so we just power through. I had to make some changes to my daughter's schedule and stuff like that. She actually wanted to pick up another AP class, and we got that done. So that actually had her starting today at their school is at least letting the AP classes start virtually uh, until they're back into the school. But, um, you know, practice has been picking up this week. We've seen some one of our good friends, Coach McCoy over at James Island, uh, you know, getting out there and getting after it with, with his guys and coaches and uh, – Looking good over there. I know they put out some uh, really sl- slick-looking helmets, man. And um, 
I really like what he's doing uh, about the uh, sticker rewards. Orange sticker on the left side for uh, special plays in the game. Blue stickers on the right side, and the stickers are these anchors. Um, the blue sticker on the right side is for, uh, you know, excellence in the classroom and doing great things inside the actual school building. So, you know, he, you know kudos to him, man. What a great job he's doing in his first year. I know it didn't get off exactly like he'd hoped. I'm sure he had a lot of things he wanted to get accomplished before they got to this point. But, you know, he's uh, looking good over there. Uh, seen a couple of our other friends that's been on the show uh, putting on some helmets and stuff this week and getting back after it. So, just want to wish those guys the best of luck this season and hope everybody stays healthy and uh, gets going. But uh, for the last about, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, I've been kind of had the fine bomb show on low, uh, just kind of hearing what people think about this SEC schedule. We'll uh, get to uh, as soon as we get Reggie in here and, and get him out the door and back to his family. But um, you know, it's kind of interesting some of the uh, – I'll say the public opinion on some of the, the first week's games uh, – the public doesn't seem to be too wild about it, but I am just because, you know, I'm excited to see how the new coaches perform in the SEC. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think, and again, we will look at the SEC one through five. That's the first week through the fifth week at seven o'clock tonight. If you want to chime in throughout tonight's show, even between that seven and seven thirty, where we will be guest free, we will actually kind of go into a little bit of a breakdown into the schedule uh, between the SEC East and West and United, of course, because it is an all-SEC schedule, a very tough and impressive schedule. And, again, for some teams, prior to picking up a few other teams, they felt pretty good about the schedule. But all of a sudden, they had to pick somebody out of the East or somebody out of the East had to pick up a few out of the West. And now the questions that start to arise and maybe a little whining from some to some. We'll get into that again at o'clock. So if you want to call in throughout tonight's show, maybe you like one of the guests that we're going to be mentioning here in a minute as we'll roll out the red carpet for four different individuals coming at it from four different angles here tonight, you can do that. Call in by calling 1-323-784-9681. Again, the number to call in is 1-323-784-9681. 9681. You can follow tonight's show and all of the guests and their quotes by following us on Twitter at SO Sports Central, as Eugene will do an incredible job, as always, putting together the words and everything from top to bottom from all of our guests who will join us tonight. Right here on the Tent Farm Hotline, we'll start off at 630 with, as always, 630 is always throwing some shade to our big guy, Reginald Walker, Jr., he, of course, played for Joe Pa. He's the voice of a few programs around the Charlotte area. He is on the TV, he's on the radio, and he's here on Southern Sports Central on Tuesday night as uh, he will join us at 6.30. Got a lot to talk about. We'll get into the Big Ten and some of the mamas that are not happy with this commissioner that decided to pull a string, and honestly, probably a little bit too early. We'll get into that with him along with a few other hot topics as well. And that was said at 7 o'clock. We'll talk SEC football, the schedule that is, as you know, if you're a Gamecock here in our state of South Carolina, they open up against Tennessee. That could mean a lot of things. We'll get into that at 7 o'clock. And then around 7.30, we go and have to put some extra shocks on the bus because we're heading to Oceanside where we'll check in with the big fella, Jacob Ashley. This will be his second appearance here on the show. He was here as a sophomore. He's a rising junior, class of 2022. He's weighing in at 300 pounds. He's 6'5". And I got to tell you, the cat has gotten 
even more impressive, as I've seen a few uh, of his film from last year. He'll be taking on a leader role over there, as a few guys uh, like Mr. Seabuck has now gotten his jersey with a name on the back of the Gamecocks, and a few other guys have left the program. It's now a junior's opportunity to step up on the front line, and uh, Coach Ribens is his, well, position coach. Coach Call is his head coach, and i got to be honest with you, He's surrounded by talent, not only in the coaching realm, but he's got some great guys around him. We'll get him to talk about what he's done during the offseason, how he stayed in shape, what he's done for morale of his team, and a few other things. As again, Jacob Ashby, Ashley excuse me, will join us at 7.30. Then at 8 o'clock, the bus will roll up to the Grand Strand to a place that I'm very familiar with, the Conway Tigers. Conway High School will be in-house for the final hour of the show tonight. We'll start off with the head football coach. Coach Terry will join us as his son actually is going to be the starting quarterback, and he's got guys and dudes all over the field. And he and I spoke earlier today. We'll kind of rehash some of the conversation, and we'll get into some new stuff. As the schedule is out, they know who they play. They know who they got. They know what they have to do. They're back out on the field, as you have heard. A lot of other guys are on the field, but this, I believe, is I think their second week on the football field. But we'll talk to Coach Terry about the Tigers and what they have to do to take over and handle business in their region up on the Grand Strain. And then at 820, somewhere around that ballpark, we'll go to the other side of the ball and talk to the defensive coordinator. Coach Bobby Curran will join us at seven, excuse me, at 820 to talk about that defensive side. Remember, he did have a big name that the Gamecocks, I believe, picked up in Mr. Hemingway. Tonka Hemingway was uh, a kind of a gift to this coach as he is now in his third year as uh, the coach on the staff with the Tigers, he is the defensive coordinator, comes out of Maryland, and uh, looking forward to his third year right up there on the Grand Strand in a very impressive region. They'll play a lot of big names, and they'll have to do some big things, but I got a lot of faith in Conway, and we'll kind of get to know the Tigers a little bit better tonight, and we look forward to having, after the coaches come in, we'll then roll out the red carpet for some of their players. So that's kind of how tonight looks like. Again, we're going to have a lot of – conversation uh, throughout tonight about multiple things and, and one thing uh, Eugene that, that I can tell you this is that I'm glad to see you know not only James Island and Wando and that's the Charleston County guys getting after it but I'm really excited for that Buford area down there who haven't touched a football quite frankly in forever I'm telling you when everybody else got in for about two weeks they never did so for these coaches like Coach BJ and, and, and some of the other coaches that we've had on the show and will continue to grow and go on the show with us here, you know, this is the first time that they're actually able to maybe fist bump that guy or have at least face-to-face conversations. So we look forward to having some of those coaches on our show throughout the next few weeks. And, again, we will focus on all of these schools around the state of South Carolina. Uh, some news that did break, I did hear this. Uh, as well as, uh, you know, the University of North Carolina in the college ranks have decided to go virtual. And uh, you probably heard this as well, Eugene, right before we went on the air, that Michigan State, even though they don't have any college football, they also won't have any classes on campus starting off as well. So, you know, there is still some of that going on. I know there's one school in the state of South Carolina that is not going to play football. They've already made that clear. I talked to Coach Smitty actually last night as well. And, um, you know, he broke that out to me uh, with one of the guys, um, I guess, close to him, kind of said, look, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. Uh, and this is going to be a different year. 
you know, this is a different year, and it's going to have asterisks, and that's fine. But, look, if you play the game of football this year, you win a state championship this year, a national championship, that's just what it is. You cannot worry about who you play and who you don't play. You have to worry about who's on that schedule, who you have to beat. Every week is playoff week. Get after it. Grind for what you can't see, and then go do what you got to do. You know, Eugene, my only argument to this is once they start putting kids in classrooms, I think you kind of take away the argument about not playing football on a football field because you're willing to put an entire group of individuals within a confined room with the walls up and the ceiling down, and you're telling me that that it's it's safe to do that, but it's not safe for these guys to be outside in an open air where where wind's blowing around and and this, that, and the other. And, again, I believe a lot safer area comparatively to a classroom and yet you're going to tell me that they can't play football. And then the other question that's going to be brought up tonight, we'll talk a lot about it as well, is that what difference, and I know the answer to this, but what difference is the Power Five to the FBS guys that aren't playing, the Citadel, the, the, the Charleston Southern? Those dudes are just like these other dudes. So if you're going to let the Power Five play, you're going to let the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12 play, why can't? The Big South. Why can't the Southern Conference play? There's a, it's a difference between grow and go where you go to play the game of football for them to go into a Power Five if it's for them to go over here to this school. And for me, right off the rip, Eugene, you and I both know the answer to that is the bottom dollar. It's a money thing. That's why you're seeing SEC saying, look, we're going to do what we got to do. You get in the car, ACC, fit shotgun, the Big 12, you probably won't be around long, but you'll be around long enough for his to have a few games, and uh, you guys get in the back seat, and we'll kind of roll this thing out for the season. Well, and another school that's kind of, uh, we'll say, a pseudo-ACC school, uh, something just dropped with their uh, president, they actually call him Friar John Jenkins, um, has just been concerned about how many parties and things are going on on campus and said that uh, they're going to move all the undergraduate classes online for the next two weeks. And uh, if it doesn't chill out on campus, he's uh, considering sending everyone home. So you know, wow. that, I don't know that it'll affect the athletes because it seems like a lot of schools are planning on having the athletes secluded anyway and having sports, you know, uh, athletics in a bubble um, and just have the rest of the students do online learning. But you know, that that's coming from Notre Dame, as we both know. If we're talking about the you know the bottom dollar and those schools that you know it, it's about money. Um, that's certainly probably the single most uh, income-driven university there is when it comes to athletics. But um, you know, and, and one of the things that I've heard on the arguments about money was the SEC, the ACC, and even the Big Ten and Pac-12 could have done it. Big 12 could have done it. Um, is that they have you know some. Some think they have more uh, resources to um, treat and seclude and take care of the athletes than a smaller school, and that might be one of the reasons why the smaller schools aren't um, aren't playing. That said, you know, with the Sun Belt with um, Coastal Carolina, you know, they can't play, or, or you know, we were thinking they weren't going to play conference games, or they were moving conference games to the spring. That said. They sure are jumping on that plane and going to Kansas and getting that million dollar paycheck for one week, you know, for one game. And so um, it's hard to argue that it's a player safety issue when you're sending kids to Kansas to play one game for a million dollars. You know, and, and right. that's, I really, I, I, to me, 
I don't want to call anybody out. I don't want to, you know, that's, that's not what the platform is for, but it, it just seems hypocritical is what I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right, Eugene. When, when you look at how this thing is all set up, for me, it, it is the answer of the bottom dollar. Again, when the SEC is like, look, we're going to do uh, what we got to do. We're going to put some kids in some pads, and we're going to play some football. Uh, we'll do the same in the ACC. Again, the Big 12 is part of this conversation. I do think that the Big Ten's going to look back at this thing going, wow, we kind of maybe thought that you guys were going with us. And then they didn't go. You know, you've seen this kind of thing, you know, in, in, in different situations where you think you form an alliance and yet the other group that you think is going to join you doesn't join you. And all of a sudden you're kind of standing out there alone. Luckily, I guess luckily, you could say luckily, that the Big Ten has, of course, the Pac-12 hanging out with them for whatever that's worth. And they can have their own little shindig uh, later on in the early part of the winter, late winter, whatever that's going to be. Uh, put together as uh, should be a lot of fun. But, you, you know, then you, you got to ask the question, This what is the Big Ten going to cover? Or are they going to reach out to the American Conference and say, look, we got some channels over here. You guys want to buy some TV time? They've got to find something to make the grounds. And for the American Conference, uh, you and I know, and everybody that's a sports buff guy or girl, understand that they want in on this. You know, remember, there was a school a couple of years ago that claimed to have a national championship in their pocket. They still got it. They created it and went and bought it and put it in their trophy case. So that being said, this gives them a chance to at least be in the conversation, at least at, at uh, a glimmer of hope, if you will. But for TV time, I, if I'm the president or, or the commissioner of the American Conference, I'm reaching out to the Big Ten and saying, look, what are you going to do with your TV time? There is going to be no sports over there. You need something besides reruns, and I'm sure you're tired of playing the same rerun after rerun after rerun. You know how many times can you watch Desmond Howard do the Heisman? You know, to me, that that's, that's just one of the things that, that I think that you look at. So you got to kind of – if you're one of these other conferences, you got to capitalize on the situation. I think the American Conference does it. I think the uh, some of these other conferences that are actually going to still be playing, maybe they'll do it. But when it's all said and done, I, I I look at the SEC and I say without doubt they're going to have some incredible ratings. Again, we'll get into that at seven o'clock because this schedule. I think the first week, the second week, the third week, each week we're going to break it down for the first five. And, and i got to be honest, there's a lot of playoff situations right off the rip in week one, right, because you really are going to be tested early and often. I mean, you look at the slate that Texas A&M has. I mean, it is brutal. And this is a team I told you everybody early in the middle of July that – I thought that this was the team to beat in the SEC, an underdog, somebody that maybe we paid attention to, maybe we didn't. They would be a team to watch, as well as I still believe Tennessee is. And I think we'll find out what Tennessee's got, because, again, they come to Columbia, South Carolina, to play the Gamecocks, find out real quick what Coach Brooks got going on over there. Just like in the ACC, we want to believe Return to the Mac is going to have his big campaign this year and that North Carolina is going to come in fighting but how much are they going to be tested and how much are they going to be able to sustain and can they end up overthrowing the Clemson Tigers? And how much does this help the ACC, you know, where they don't have to play an SEC one or two teams throughout the season and the SEC has got to play each other. So, you know, when you've got, you know, uh, Goliath fighting Goliath week in and week out and here comes little David, uh, if you will, minus Clemson, right? 
I mean, if they get a chance to get in here, they'll be a little bit more rested. They'll still be beat up because I'm not going to undermine the, the athletes in the ACC. They've, those guys can ball out as good as anybody. I just think it's a little bit different. It's like a step up, if you know what I mean, maybe two steps from what you see on a Saturday afternoon in the SEC. Yeah, the talent level in the ACC is, is definitely not, uh, in my opinion, you know, second to, to anyone. I, I know if you a lot of people judge it by the NFL draft every year, and it seems like you know I, I can't recall a year where the AC, where the SEC didn't get you know the most kids drafted. I don't really think that's it. I don't think that's the best way to judge it. Um, you know, a lot of people think the SEC is the mecca of coaching. I don't really think that's been it either. Um, because the ACC, I think what, what the difference is, is when you look at uh, coaches who are paid, um, because that seems to be, you know, if you can get to that six, seven, eight million dollar thing, that's kind of the mecca, that's the saving. Now, I, I can't really say that uh, I think um, Harbaugh deserves that because he certainly hasn't beaten his, in the uh, the rival team or made it to one of the, you know, the, the final four, so to speak. But, uh, and I think that's it outside of, you know, Clemson, you know, there just aren't the, the coaches making, you know, the five or six or seven million dollars a year. Jimbo Fisher had a chance to do that, but, you know, he took the, the 10 year, 75 million deal and went to Texas A&M. Um, so I, I think it's, it's probably just seems to be more of the ACC has just been known as a basketball conference, you know, with very high academics, um, you know, and until you get, several teams up there, you know, and I think what it is until you get multiple teams, at least two teams in the final four, uh, you're just not going to have that respect because everybody looks at the conference as now it used to be Florida state and everybody else. Now it's Clemson and everybody else. So I think, you know, a team like North Carolina, they can step up this year and hopefully they will and, and, and do really well, but you have to do it multiple years. Otherwise, it's just kind of a flash in the pan. I mean, if you look at the ACC, heck, you know, uh, Wake Forest back in, I think it was 2012, won the ACC and went on to, uh, back then, you know, it was the BCS Bowl games where they played, uh, I believe it was uh, Florida down in the Orange Bowl. But, um, you know, and, and that's kind of the barometer. It's just going to be like, you know, well, you got Clemson, and, yeah, they're super great, and they can go and play with anybody in the country and win. They've done that. Uh, but, you know, there just isn't that other couple of dominant teams. This year, the SEC has Alabama. You know, uh, in the past, you know, 10, 12 years, LSU's won two, two national championships, played for another. Florida's won two. Uh, you know, this year, everybody thinks that A&M's a loaded team with a coach who has won a national title. You know, I mean, it, it, and I think that's what it is. It's just that they don't have another team. The conference just doesn't look as respectable from top to bottom um, because after the first team, after Clemson, you know, you're kind of like, well, this team could make a push, you know, and then they go play Clemson and get blown out of the stadium by 50 points. I know they do have a couple of close games here or there, but it just seems like Clemson gets up for the big matchup. So, you know, if North Carolina, when they play Clemson, I'm sure, you know, Dabo have those guys hyped up. We'll see if it becomes a close game. Clemson's more susceptible to those trap games uh, like we saw last year with, I think it was NC State. Um, but, you know, when it really comes to the big matchups, we've seen time after time that Dabo has those guys ready. So you just get to be looked at as a, you know, major football conference, you just got to have those other teams, you know, at least, you know, two, I would say at least two more teams that have a shot 
not just on paper, but people look at them and say, you know, those guys can make a run. just depends on how it goes. Um, you know, Ohio State, they have, you know, Michigan State, which I know they've had a couple bad years breaking in a new coach and stuff like that, but they were just in the Final Four a couple of years ago. Uh, Michigan has been right on that edge. You know, he just can't seem to beat Ohio State to kind of get into there. Uh, Penn State, you know, they've been pretty consistent and pretty good the last couple of years. Back when they had that superstar running back, you know, they almost made a run at the national title. You know, Wisconsin, you know, puts up 10 win seasons. So if you look at it, they just have a bunch of teams like that. Now, when you look at it with, again, the ACC, you have Clemson, you know, and oh, Florida State's been down. Miami's been down. You know, there just really hasn't been that type of, you know, second, third, fourth team that just really can put up 10 wins, you know, 11 wins and go beat anybody, you know, on a neutral field. So I think to me, that's what I think the biggest key is. They've got to get some help on their, uh, in their conference with some teams winning some big games, you know, and having putting together back-to-back seasons of winning big like that, not just a flash in the pan. Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I do think uh, I do think the Big Ten's better than they get credit for. I think they're the second best conference in the country. Uh, I think they beat each other up just like the SEC. Very similar, uh, very similar formats, very similar recipes between the two conferences. And what I think happens is that by the time the end of the season happens, you know, you start to see you know some of that wear and tear, some of those. Uh, pool growings or, or, or different muscles or, or whatever it may be end up playing a huge factor later in the season. It's not like you look at the Big 12 when you've got four or five undefeated seasons, well, because they've jam-packed the three teams they do have to have to play each other at the end of the year. Then, of course, the Pac-12, I, I have no idea what's going on in the West Coast. I'm that guy. I do stay up at night. I enjoy a, a nice uh, 12 o'clock kickoff in the middle of the night. It's, again, it's college football. We don't get it all the time, so we enjoy it when we get it. And uh, they do play some football. Unfortunately, they only have teams, and then they have some, you know, they have some good teams. But it's always that one or two teams up there at the top. You know, one that was, of course, uh, USC. They were doing their thing. And then UCLA had their days. It was Oregon, Oregon State, you know. But they can't seem to get four or five. Uh, I don't want to say ducks in a row because I don't want to pick on Oregon. But they can't seem to get their things together. Then there's Clemson. You know, you got Virginia, who I think Virginia is a good ball team. And the question is, can they reload and redo what they need to do at Syracuse? Is this a team who I've heard from some people to keep an eye on, watch out for what they do in Louisville? You know, I'm going to be honest. If Charlie Strong doesn't leave Louisville, I wonder where Louisville would be today. I think that that was a great place for him. I think instead of him leaving and going to Texas, he should have stayed in Louisville. I really believe that there is a, a, a perfect spot for every coach, as there is you know, a player. And I think that was Charlie Strong's place. I think that's where he could have really done a lot of great things. But, you know, he's just like everybody else, man. You had a chance to be, uh, you know, uh, breaking a lot of things down and and doing some big things and going to Texas. But it just – it never was a good fit to me. It never was a place that I really, you know, thought that that, that really it was going to work. I just didn't. You know, I would have loved to see him in Columbia when he was a defensive coordinator here. You know, he did great things with the Gamecocks when he was down in Florida. I thought he did, of course, great things. He was uh, He's a great guy with the kids. The kids seem to love him a lot, and I have had many conversations with him. And, of course, he's very relatable. You know, he's a guy that I think gets into, you know, uh, he gets into the houses. He gets into the neighborhoods. He goes down the hallways, and that's huge. And that's why it works in a place like Louisville, Kentucky. Now, we talked quickly before we go to break uh, about some of the uh, 
the guys that get drafted and, and kind of where they where they kind of finish and, and all of that. And it is, you know, a, a big conversation to me. And of course, the SEC is is going to lead the way here with this conversation because of the factor that they do have, without a doubt, I would say overall the best talent in the league. Now, in the last five years, they have led it uh, by 270 players being drafted in the first uh, in the past five years. Now, again, the ACC 189 to 12 with 169. How about the Big Ten sitting there with 169 and the Big 12 only 104? You look at the payroll. The payroll very similar there. Now, yes, Davo Sweeney is 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 one of the top guys up there, deservedly so. You know, again, it's the same theory. You can't get mad at the schedule. You know, Clemson plays the schedule. They handle the business that's on the schedule. They beat the teams that are on their schedule. And then they go on about their business. When you put an SEC schedule together, they give them the Gamecocks, and usually they'll get somebody early in the season, and they beat them too. And then they go through the regular season. And in the past, Alabama's kind of been, you know, that back and forth with them. This year, the LSU got a shot at them, and I thought LSU, of course, you know, kind of had it together. But I know you're kind of, you know, you got a, you got a little LSU in you as well as some others out there, Eugene. But to me, as we're going to say this and go to a quick break, because we have to go to our, of course, 630 segment with the one and only Reginald Walker Jr., I'm curious, and I mean this with all serious, I'm curious to see how good is LSU with another quarterback coming in. And, you know, was there a chance that they could have a transfer guy coming in? Doesn't look like that's going to happen. Doesn't look like they're doing some things. Even Tennessee, who has picked up a guy from Georgia, the NCAA has put a halt on his participation around as he supposedly has made that move. But they're saying not just yet. We need to wait and see what happens. So we're going to do this. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll head to the phone lines and we'll check in with Reginald Walker Jr. all the way in Charlotte, North Carolina. Guys, don't go anywhere. Sports car. God knows, stress I've been through all that. I'm like a marble. 
Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich Yellow alongside Eugene Benton, coming to you live from the Factory Sports and Fitness Training Studios as we head now to the Tent Farm Hotlines. And this segment brought to you by our friends over at the Tent Farm at 7634 South Rail over in North Charleston. Now, again, you can reach them on the web at tentfarm.com, or you can reach them by mobile at 843-297-4131. And like that, let's bring in the big man himself, Reginald. Walker Jr. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? Shout out to the folks down in North Chuck, as they say down in those parts. I love it, man. Throwing some shade to the fellas down at the tent farm. And, again, uh, Jonathan said, man, does he have any tent on his car? I said, I don't know, man. I think some days it sounds like he's riding motorcycles. Some days he's out there in a Maserati. I don't know what he's riding in today. So I said I'd get in touch with you and let him know. I do have tent on the car, but, hey, you know, if it, if it needs to be updated, we can work that out. <laughs> man, I tell you, it's storming down here in the low country, man. What's the weather like up there? How was the weekend for you since our last conversation, bud? You know, we've been having some storms roll in and out of here, but I tell you the biggest storm that's been rolling through is the up and down nature of uh, what's going to happen this fall with athletics, uh, particularly in North Carolina. But I think probably across both states right now, it's a little bit of, unsettled, unanswered questions, if you will. Yeah, no doubt. Now, kind of give us an update. Uh, of course, you do a lot of things there in Charlotte. That's the hub. That's the central location for the state of North Carolina, and you're close enough to the border that you can hear the echoes across in South Carolina. But the last that we heard that it was still uncertain when they were going to do it. They definitely weren't going to play any sports in the fall, and we're looking to possibly do something special coming up in the spring, uh, what's the latest update over there in high school sports around the uh, the north side of uh, the Carolinas? Yeah, there, there there will not be at this point. It doesn't look like there's going to be football uh, this fall. Uh, they've laid out that schedule for the spring, and uh, you've seen multiple players, uh, high level players in this area, essentially opt out. A couple kids announced they were transferring. Uh, one kid. Uh, is going down to uh, uh, there's a there's a school over towards Chesterfield County area that's a powerhouse. Uh, he's going down there. He was a North Carolina kid, um, so he's going to shoot down uh, into South Carolina and play. Uh, Power Eccles, a linebacker from I believe Vance High School here, um, has decided he's going to early enroll at North Carolina. I believe is where he's going. Uh, so you're starting to see the uh, the attrition, if you will, of some of the better North Carolina players uh, making decisions to go elsewhere one way or the other. Uh, I, I've never been uh, one to question uh, a kid going to college, you know, and enrolling early. If you're set up to do that, by all means, do so. Uh, and then on the flip side, the, the young guy, and his name is escaping me right now, uh, that's deciding to leave North Carolina and go play his high school ball in South Carolina. Listen, if your family – has the means for you to be able to do that, then so be it. Because, right. you know, you can't you can't question a kid or his family uh, for making the best decision for them. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, is that young man, is that the quarterback that's going to Dillon High School? Is that, is that Dillon his position? High School. Yes, that is Dillon High yeah. School, correct. Um, it is a okay. quarterback. And he's a quarterback, He has right? decided to go to Dillon, uh, and he's from up near the, uh, I want to say near Rockingham area. I looked it up right. on the map when I checked kind of where he was going from to, uh, and it seemed like a decent drive, but it didn't seem 
you know, outlandish in terms of the trip, whether he's going to take it every morning or not, or live not with his parents uh, for this time period. I'm not sure, uh, but it seemed a reasonable distance, nothing that was, you know, over two hours or anything like that. Well, he's getting ready to go play for one of the best coaches, uh, active coaches right now in the state of South Carolina and Jackie Hayes. And I got to be honest with you, you know, the Dillon uh, guys are, are every bit of what high school Friday night lights are, are like. I grew up playing against them in our region, growing up on Myrtle Beach. They are up there in that Florence kind of PD area. And uh, they had a guy back in the day. Here's a name that you may remember, you may know. It's Stan the Man. Stan Manning was a running back in 1995. One Mr. Yep. Football. The cat would wear uh, a million yards in the first half. He'd go into the field house. He'd go in your field house, put on a top hat, a trench coat, and walk out with a cigar, look at Jackie Hayes and said, man, I think I'm done for the night. And that would be it. He would win <laughs> in the first half, and that was all. <laughs> man, that's just the kind of ballers that Jackie Hayes has and, and when I heard that this dual threat, I mean, this guy is supposed to be elusive, loud, and proud coming from North Carolina. I think they're getting ready to have themselves another championship coming in 3A football. Yeah, and I, I think the interesting thing about that is uh, the reaction from the Dillon kids, right? Um, if they, they love it. You know, and, and, and I suspect Coach Hayes, uh, you know, he's got that, that kind of a mantra with his football team. It's, it's about winning. And so I right. think his guys are going to respond well. Uh, to the new teammate, and I think they'll play well, and I think that, to your point, gives them another chance to win another championship. And they got a guy named Amari Huggins who is going to Louisville. We just talked about why Charlie Strong should have never left Louisville. A guy that's going to be heading to Louisville in uh, January, December sometime, uh, is uh, Mr. Huggins, who's already committed there, is a wide receiver, one of the best wide receivers in the state. Uh, I'm sure he's pretty excited to have a quarterback sitting there going, Man, you tell me where you're going to be, and I'll drop you a little bit of mail in the bag as you guys go into the end zone for six, right? Yeah, what they say, dropping dimes. I think I think that's what those <laughs> yeah. two are looking forward to. And, and listen, uh, yeah. as you know, you know when it comes to this, and 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 at particularly the high school level, getting into the college level, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? So if all of a sudden you're a solid D1 prospect, right, at the receiver position, but you're playing with a quarterback who's maybe a D3 type of talent, no disrespect to that kid, but there are certain things he can't do, certain places he can't put the football. Now, on right. the flip side of that, all of a sudden you get a kid coming down like they're getting from going down to Dillon now. You get a high-level quarterback that can pitch it and catch it all over the football field. Now it makes it a lot easier for you to make those types of plays as that receiver because he's a little bit more – the new quarterback is a little bit more dynamic with his ability to drop the football in. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, this young man coming around the Rock Hill area, or no, it's Rockingham. You said Rockingham area, North Carolina, right? Yeah, somewhere up in that region, yes. Now, he has multiple offers. This guy is already he's – he's a power five D1 style quarterback prior to the season even starting. Is that correct? Correct, correct. Okay. So this is something that we could see, though. I mean, be honest with you, and I haven't had a chance to hear as many, and I'm going to be honest, there aren't many coaches that are going to come out and say, well, let me show you my list that I got. You show me your list. I'm sure we won't see a list until the roster is finally put together. And I'm sure he's one of the many that have uh, come across the border and have come in and to do some big things. But for me, you know, it's something like you said. I hope that no one gives these young guys a hard time. They just want to play. They just want to get after it. They don't have the time to wait and play in the spring 
because of the recovery time and multiple other issues that they could face uh, if that season isn't being played in the fall. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, now the thing that that scares me about all this, and uh, and and look, I I, I want to see football be played. I don't know how, you know, the right way is to do it. I, safe is to me at this point is a relative term, and what I mean by that is, some people look at the term safe as no one gets COVID. Some people look at the term safe as a certain percentage get COVID. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know this. The University of North Carolina is sending students home less than a week into them being on campus because of COVID-19 clusters. Uh, North Carolina State is investigating off-campus COVID-19 clusters. I know these are colleges, but I think it adds up and it trickles into high school as well. You're not going to tell 15 to 22-year-olds and trust that they're absolutely going to stay away from their friends and the and their teammates and all these things for this extended period of time to avoid COVID. So the only thing I've always said is what is safe and how do we feel about it? Right. And I think everybody's definition of safe obviously is different, which is why you have, if you look at the college landscape, you've got the big 10 and Pac 12 on one angle. You've got the sec, uh, uh, ACC, and Big 12 with another approach. And then you've got some smaller schools saying, well, we can play the non-conference contract games because we need the money. I don't know which one of those ways is 100% right, because I'll tell you right now, and I've said this, and i said this on this show, if the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, and whoever else is playing, gets through the season with maybe a couple interruptions but nothing catastrophic, the Big 10 and the Pac-12 are going to look, they're going to get crushed for it. On the flip side, if in three weeks the season is shut down, the Big Ten and Pac-12 are going to look like geniuses. The issue is neither one of us or probably no one out there knows which one of those is going to happen. And so whoever's on one side of it or the other side of it, by the end of this, the season, they may be saying the other one's smart and the other one's stupid. Who knows? <laughs> We're live right now with Reginald Walker Jr., former Penn State Nittany Lion under that famous coach Joe Paterno. He is also a voice on the UNC Charlotte broadcast team as well as, of course, a few other avenues around the Charlotte area as well as right here on Southern Sports Central. We're always glad to have him on our Tuesday evening show here. Uh, you know, the other thing that I'm kind of curious about, is, and this is something that I hear either through, listen through earlier with Paul Bonbon, and I've heard this through some other avenues, Reggie, it looks like to me that they are going to allow the state, the state to determine how many bodies go into an actual stadium because it is per state how serious each issue in COVID is related into the area that it's in. So your thoughts on this or any thoughts that you've heard around uh, any of the places you've been here lately of how they're going to handle this? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you've got some states talking about 22%. Uh, I heard that in relation to an NFL team. Um, I believe it was the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I heard 25% in other places. Uh, the Chicago Bears have announced they're going to start with no fans. Uh, clearly, they're in sort of Big Ten country, right, if you will. So it's going to be right. interesting to watch this. Uh, the Chiefs are in Big 12 country, right? So I think as we watch this full play itself out, um, you're right. It's going to be completely different. And if anyone thought that it wasn't, 
the way that college football announced, right, the different conferences announced different things should have been a clear-cut indication that everything was going to be haywire and not everything was going to be on the same page. If you look at NASCAR, there are certain tracks where they're allowing fans, other tracks where they're not. It goes back to those different states and the different county even regulations in different places. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because what I think you're going to see is some people complaining uh, that they can't have somewhat of a home field advantage with fans in the stands. Uh, Others on the other side of that uh, feeling like it doesn't matter um, that maybe they don't have to go on the road and, and, and play a really good football team and deal with that crowd noise, right? So if, if, I'm, going, if I'm going into Tuscaloosa, but the, the governor of Alabama is saying no fans, I feel pretty good because it's one thing to play right. Alabama. It's another thing to play Alabama and their fans. But on the flip side right. of that, I'll just be honest. If I'm going into Northwestern, I know they're not playing this year, but if I'm going into Northwestern, and they don't have any fans, it doesn't bother me because even when they can have fans, they don't have any fans. <laughs> yeah, I used to true. make the joke in college, if we go play on the road at Northwestern, especially if it's a noon Eastern kick, 11 a.m. local time, it's like going to a spring game. It's sleepy. There's no one out there. You don't even smell the food from the tailgates. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Hey, so, so let me ask you this. Is this a year that you want to play LSU? Is this a year, like you mentioned, Alabama? Because, yes, they got their new lighting system inside Tuscaloosa right there in that big stadium, but they don't have the fans. They won't have the numbers, the drones. We had a high school in Malden, you know, in here with us on Sunday night, and they have a big road test in week one. Usually it's a sold-out crowd. They're on the road, but this year it's going to look a lot different because they're not going to have to worry about the crowds and the stands. South Carolina, it sounds like they're going to try to maybe go around 250 in high school stadiums. That's not a guarantee. That's just a few rumors that I've heard. But yet, if you are going to, and again, the Big Ten has been known for doing not well, of course, not Northwestern, but other teams have been known to show up. Michigan, Penn State, you know, just to name a few. Of course, Ohio State, Wisconsin, the jump around group. And then think about in the SEC, it's literally called the 12th man. This is something right. that Texas A&M has made a killing out of and made a money bracket out of, and this time, the 12th man will be sitting anywhere but in the stands this year. Yeah, and, and I tell you, it's it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, you, you look at – I don't know if you guys saw the tweet over the weekend from uh, uh, Greg Byrne, the, the athletic director at the University of Alabama. Uh, he's frustrated with the students. Uh, he posted – he tweeted a picture, uh, a bunch of students. I'm not sure what they were standing in line for. Uh, I did feel like mm-hmm. I saw some students that were out there with masks on, but many of them did not. And his point was, everybody says they want to see football. This is not going to get us to football. And so I think the interesting thing is moving forward, uh, especially as folks start going back to school and maybe some different states start opening back up, how much are people paying attention to large crowds and the case numbers, whether they go up or down, because that's going to determine a lot of this, whether some governors, right, who are making these decisions like it or not. Now, remember the state of Alabama, the students in Alabama were having COVID parties. So are they you were surprised having COVID to see? Parties. Right. Are we surprised that kids are standing in a, in a straight line with no mask on? I'm actually just impressed that they're standing in a straight line at this point. I mean, this well, is a group tell of you kids what. who were literally. I'll tell you what. I, uh, I talked to somebody that was uh, over the weekend 
uh, down near the uh, Florida Alabama state line, and uh, they were they went to uh, there is a bar that basically sits right on the border of the two states, and they said there is not there was not one human thinking about socially distancing mm. in that establishment or around it over the weekend. Wow. So now those students may be going to Florida State. They may go to Alabama, Auburn, Florida. Who knows? I don't know. They may not even be students. But the reality is what, what may be happening at that location, whether those folks leave there and go east towards Pensacola and into Florida or go west towards Alabama, if they're a part of a spike in numbers, it's going to impact the football season. Right. You're exactly right. Now, talking about uh, it having an impact, uh, this is close to you, being that you played in the Big 12 as we're live right now, as always, on our 630 segment brought to you by our friends over at the Tim Farm here in North Charleston. We are live with Reginald Walker, Jr. Of course, uh, Reggie now in the Big 10. There are mamas, and I'm going to tell you, making daddies upsets one thing, but when you make mama mad, oh, boy, watch out for the emails and uh, all the uh, postal service gifts that you will get and that is uh, <laughs> something that i keep hearing about is that mama ain't happy over there in the big 10 about her baby not being able to play which could be a junior year a senior year uh, your thoughts on that and then uh, i kind of thought some of these guys were going to get a green light to transfer and see some guys moving but you know time is kind of winding out as a lot of guys got on the practice under the game got out there in fall practice today for the first time yeah I, I think i think there's two problems with uh creating an opening to transfer uh, for these kids right now is a, they've already told them that they won't lose the eligibility. That's number one. I think number two, if you open that door up, part of why I think schools are saying we're looking at the spring or we'd like to play in the spring is to keep that transfer option kind of tighter and not really make it uh, that big of an option. And I think uh, lastly, you know, you've got some roster issues if you allow that. Um, that way. Now, again, how many people are really going to go somewhere? How many coaches can guys take? That's one thing. Number two, think about it. You got 85 scholarships. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm a, I, if I'm a mom or dad, right? I'm all for a kid that wants to play, and 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 they're probably calling the other parents and saying, "I support you wholeheartedly, supporting your kid, until your kid decides to play. That until your kid, who plays the same position as my kid, decides to transfer to the school where my kid is." And the coach has to call me and tell me, I'm getting ready to pull your kid's scholarship because of this kid that's coming in. That's a conversation that a lot of parents may not think about. And I tell you, it's not a fun one to have, uh, whether you're a coach or the player. And and so, you know, I think that's the reason why we haven't seen that mass exodus and why I think the NCAA didn't really open that option up uh, because they didn't want to create those kinds of problems down the line, uh, not only for the coaches, uh, but compliance offices and, and, and things of that nature. And also, where's that kid coming from, right? Uh, if you, if you uh, let's just say you're in a place with uh, very, very low case numbers. I'm going to make this up, uh, you know, maybe North Dakota, right? I'm just making this up. North Dakota State, all of a sudden they get 12 guys from Florida that want to transfer there or, or 12 guys from Penn State that want to transfer there. Well, Pennsylvania is kind of a state with some, with some big numbers. And so all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. We're bringing in a bunch of guys that come from a high volume, high case state to a state that doesn't have a lot. And we're kicking off, right? Again, North Dakota State, FCS, 
They don't have 85 scholarships. They have less. So now we're booting some kids off scholarship to bring in kids who may also bring in a spike in coronavirus cases. So there's so many pieces to this, so many layers. And just since we've been talking, I got a text. It looks like, uh, it looks like Notre Dame has shut their campus down. They've suspended in-person classes after virus cases surge. This thing, this, I tweeted it last week. COVID-19 is a moving target. And an, even an expert pistol shot hasn't figured out how to get it out of the air yet. Yeah, now, of course, that Notre Dame joins North Carolina that joins Michigan State. So three major universities have made major decisions. And I kind of, in a way, applaud them if we're looking at saving a sport. And for some people, it's saving a sport. But for me, it's saving careers. These are young men who are, are, are working their way and trying to get to the NFL, right? I mean, I get that they're student athletes, but come on. You and I both were, were student athletes at, at, at Power Five universities, playing different things, but doing the same thing. And that is working towards the goal of being a professional athlete, correct? And we needed that. Absolutely. School. We needed that game. And, and, and for me, I take this a little bit differently. I know you take this a little bit differently. We are playing with this men's money. We're playing with the other sports because it, we talk football, but let's be honest, track and field, that's our Olympics. That is the Olympics. Those are the men and women that are going to represent our country in the Olympics years down the road. And this that's is right. going to have an impact on it. There's a lot more to just and, – and my heart doesn't just go to football. It goes to every fall sport, as it did in the spring, but it does it right now. We're in the right now moment in the fall. And, and, and to me, here's my question to you, and I know we're up against the top of the hour, and if you can hang out for longer, we'll go to break and bring you back. And I know Eugene may even want to jump in with you with some stuff too. That being said, what makes it different between the athlete and I'm going to use UNC Charlotte, I'm going to use – Anywhere around Charleston, be it the Citadel or Charleston Southern, these athletes aren't any different by body, by, by being who they are, than the guys in the Power Five. And who says that Power Five should be able to play, and yet the Southern Conference and the Big South cannot play? To me, it shows you that it's all about the bottom dollar, literally the money drive, and even Coastal heading to Kansas just to get a paycheck also shows you that they're willing to drive multiple states over, not worried about the corona case, worried about the briefcase that they're going to bring back with them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, and, that, and that's, I think that's the sad part about this is it's, it's the haves and have-nots of college football. Uh, and we've talked about this, I'm sure, you know, obviously ad nauseum. I mean, you know, the, the haves and have-nots of college football, and the little guys right now are just trying to stay afloat. Uh, you know, I read somewhere that there's one school that's spending upwards of $100,000 a week on COVID testing for football. That's not all the athletes. That's football. I, I, don't, I don't know too many places that have that kind of a budget. And so when you look at even the UNC Charlottes, uh, the Charleston Southerns, the Citadels, the Coastal Carolinas, they have to go get the check where they can just to stay afloat. Because the reality is, and I don't think people really fully understand this, athletic departments, they also have to transfer money into the what they call the bursar accounts of these athletes to pay for their scholarships. This is not just the kid shows up and the school just waves money away. 
That's not how this works. The athletic department slides money over. They move money over. They wire it, however they do it. They have to put money into the campus's bank account for these athletes to be on campus. Now, the unfortunate part is whether you look at an athlete or, or, or a, quote, non-athlete student, right, they're being asked, the athletes are often being asked to, write do more. But what makes them different than the other student than the other uh, students on campus? Well, they came there to play a sport. And as a part of that, which I think is the part that we're missing, and I don't have, and I'm not questioning any parents because parents can make decisions about their own kids. But at the same time, as a parent, when you sent your kid off to school, you told that coach and that administration. I trust you to protect my child to the best of your ability. If what Larry Scott did at the Pac-12 and what Kevin Warren is doing with the Big Ten and some other schools uh, that, that have decided not to play, if they feel as though what they're doing is living up to their end of the bargain when they took that kid on from that parent by saying, I'm going to do everything I can to protect your child, they should be able to sleep at night just fine. And as a parent, as a parent, I'm not saying they're wrong, but if something happens to their kid, who are they going to be upset with? Because it's not going to be exactly. themselves, and it's not going to be their kid. They're going to be mad at the coach. They're going to be mad at the athletic director, and they're going to be mad at the administration of that school. And so until a parent can unequivocally tell me that they won't be upset at those people, then I'm then they can be upset with Kevin Warren all they want, but I'm not going to tell them that Kevin Warren is the bad guy in this or Larry Scott is the bad guy in this if they cannot tell me unequivocally that if something happens to their child, they will not be upset with anybody, blame anybody, or, or seek litigation against anyone. I agree with you. We're live right now, wrapping up hour number one with the one and only Reginald Walker Jr. Played in the Power Five with the Nittany Lions at Penn State and Joe Pa. And I got to be honest with you, the stories that he has told me, just from the fun and the excitement of back in the days, as one of the greatest coaches to coach the college game, quite interesting. And one day we may get you in here, Reggie, and just have a flashback day and just do something on Flashback Friday, you and I, and we'll get a few other dudes in here. We'll just talk about the good old days, if you will. But uh, I do want to say this. Again, we're going to get into the SEC schedule. If you want to hang out for uh, 30 minutes at the top of the hour, you're more than welcome to. Uh, I agree with everything that you had to say tonight. As always, he brings the knowledge from Charlotte down to Charleston, and we spread it around the airwaves from coast to coast. And, of course, uh, we are all keeping an eye on this thing called COVID-19. It's like tracking the most massive, perfect storm in the country, and it's hit us like a freight train, and we got no idea if it's landed yet, if there's an eye on this storm or what, but we do know that so far that we're making some positive traction. So let's continue to do that. Uh, Red, do you want to hang out or you got to go back to work? I know you've got busy things, but uh, it's up to you, big guy. I got to get back to the office, but I'll leave you guys and the listeners with this. Uh, I know, you know, we get on these things and we, we talk about these different subjects. At the end of the day, all of us love the game, and what we want is the best for these kids. I'm not in the position to make that decision. 
I'm in the position to be asked about whether or not I think the decision is right, wrong, or indifferent. But the one thing I always remind myself is, A, I don't have all the information that these administrators have, and B, I don't get paid to make that decision, so I'm glad I don't. And so at the end of the day, if we can find a way to play safely, I'm all for it. If it's going to be dangerous, we probably need to reconsider because at the end of the day, if we lose one kid, one kid, it's not worth it. I leave you guys with that. I appreciate the time as always. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, we are. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. And in and out with the knowledge all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina, we get him every Tuesday at 630, brought to you by our friends over at the Tent Farm, and that is Reginald Walker Jr. Guys, we're going to take a quick one. It is top of the hour. We'll be right back. You're listening to Southern Sports Central Live right here on Blog Talk Radio. Guys, don't go anywhere. And welcome back, everybody. Hour one is in the books. We want to thank Reginald Walker Jr. for, as always, giving us all the highs and lows and everything that he can when it comes down to a Tuesday 6.30 segment brought to you by our friends over at the Tent Farm. And he did, as always, bring a five-star segment right here on Southern Sports Central. You can find us. You can follow us. You can track us down and stock us all in one over there on Facebook at Southern Sports Central. You can also hang out with us as Eugene is doing an incredible job with every interview that comes through. So goes the quotes right there on our Twitter page at SO Sports Central. Now, if you would like to log in here, hang out with us, and call in right now, you can do that. Come on in. Talk about the first five weeks of the SEC. Your thoughts, your opinions. Eugene and I are going to get into it here now. You can join us by calling one 323 Nine six eight one. Again, the number to call in is one three two three seven eight four nine six eight one. Eugene, I bring you back in here. Some great points there, of course, by Reggie. As always, he brings the knowledge and uh, a lot of great points. But uh, I guess we'll kind of wait back and, and see if this works out. If uh, again, if it's canceled early, the Big Ten, the Pac twelve looks like a genius. If it's not, we made a boo boo. A couple things. Uh, one, you know, we we're talking about the, you know, the transfer portal and those guys that maybe, let's just take for example, who might be interested in leaving the Big Ten to go play, let's say the SEC. Uh, one thing that's actually against them is not only the time because the season is about to start and practice has already kicked off, but the fact that if you look at this time of year, those rosters are full. They're full of the because they still have the incoming class, and at this point, guys hadn't been, you know pissed off for not getting their way and saying, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm going back home. Uh, A lot of the transfers occur after the season in the spring when guys kind of see what the season's like, a real season's like under a certain staff. You know, maybe they didn't end up on the depth chart where they wanted to. Maybe they got switched uh, to a different position. Maybe their position coach took a different job. But at this time of the year, the rosters are full. And no matter what, you still have that 85 scholarship limit. Um, There are certain circumstances where guys can – transfer and play right away. That was one thing that the uh, NCAA was looking into this year. The guy you brought up earlier was the uh, offensive lineman from Georgia. Uh, He played the whole season. 
right. the only reason why he's trying to transfer to Tennessee is because his brother's on Tennessee's roster, and that it had something to do with his dad. <clears throat> his dad caused an injury to him. They caused him to lose a finger or two or something like that, uh, and they tried to use that as a waiver uh, to opt out of the Georgia quote-unquote contract, you know, as him being a player, so that he could transfer to Tennessee. That's why the NCAA said no, that, you know, he, he's a guy that played the whole season. Sure, he could go to Tennessee. He's just going to have to sit out a year. That might also be a, a team that Georgia blocks because, you know, oh, by the way, they're in the same conference, and oh, by the way, they're in, both in the Eastern Division. So it's a team that they would have to play every year. Sometimes schools can put a block on that um, and also delay those transfers. I don't know that Georgia tried to block him in that way, but his parents have launched a lawsuit against the uh, University of Georgia about that whole issue with his hand and playing and not playing and whatever. But um, you know, but the main thing is where I was going with uh, you know, the transfer portal is that with those rosters being loaded, you know, with especially the incoming uh, freshmen and and all that, you know, there's probably not room for guys because most schools are going to sign the max amount of dudes to get that scholarship limit up to 85 this time of year because you know they're not sure how it's going to pan out they're not sure about injuries or uh you know who's who's going to play what position and start where and that kind of thing so right now there's probably you know i i would imagine there's very few spots available so anyway but um you know we'll see how it goes i just i I think now guys are stuck and i think if they don't play especially in the spring um you know they're going to be some mad mamas again. Uh, and another part of that is, you know, if the SEC starts, let's say worst case scenario, they start and have to shut it down after week two. Uh, they're still below that four game um, playing status. So everybody gets a red shirt season. So I don't think it, I don't think the SEC is taking too big of a risk with that as well. So, you know, I, I, I guess I'm, I, every, I guess everybody knows I'm in the boat of letting them play. So, uh, you know, I just think it'll – we're kind of – we'll see what happens. But Saban just came on the show uh, about 10 minutes ago and said the only opponent looking at his schedule he's afraid of is the coronavirus. Yeah, he said that. I know uh, this morning he was on a on a on uh, one of the channels around the country, and, and that was his biggest concern is fighting corona, that we're not doing what we need to be doing. And, again, you know, I, I do want to take too much time up from uh, some of the things we've covered, but I do want to get into the schedule – in the SEC, which we're going to do here in just a second. But his biggest concern is when you put college kids on a college campus, they will do college kid things. It's hard to maneuver these kind of kids, just like I feel the same in high school. I think if you put high school kids on a high school campus and you start getting things, you know, it's going to be hard. You know, in a place like Wando, like Somerville, like Dorman, and a few other major high schools around the state, you know, it's going to be an interesting conversation. I had a conversation today with another news guy, and he and I were kind of talking about some things. He said there's a school in Georgia. Only three kids showed up at school today, three. And one of them was in the fifth grade, one was in the third, and one was in the first. They didn't know each other. And uh, it's just that concern, I guess, is there. Uh, the one concern, as of right now, we don't have, is that there will be football in the SEC. Now, week one, right off the rip, I think, the game of the week has got to be South Carolina, Tennessee. I think CBS has got to go ahead and click that one, put that one at the forefront. You got Jeremy Pruitt that's coming in, and he's taking the dudes out of South Carolina. He's had to get a bus to carry him out of here because he's got Kenny Solomon. He's got the young man, the wide receiver, Jalen Hyatt. He's got other dudes from South Carolina that's over there. Meanwhile, 
Meanwhile, new strength conditioning guy and some other uh, guys on the staff uh, with uh, Will Muschamp, and this could be hopefully going to be a healthy season. They've been unhealthy for about three or four years, going all the way into the third and fourth string in some areas. Hopefully, uh, this is not going to be the case, and why better yet, they're going to be the healthiest that they've been all year in week one. Now, to me, South Carolina wins this game. It, it definitely gets some conversation and some, some momentum. If Tennessee wins this game, man, does this have a good look on Jeremy Pruitt. Remember, last year, he didn't start so hot. Matter of fact, pretty dismal in Rocky Top. It was very rocky until midway through something clicked, and so did the volunteers, and they ended up getting a handful of wins and uh, did extremely well. So I like that Tennessee-South Carolina. I'm going to mention the other games who I think are going to be a conversation. Let's see what Ole Miss and Florida have to do. Again, the lane train is going to be hosting Florida, and everybody knows uh, the coach that's at Florida now. He knows Ole Miss because he coached against them at Mississippi State. He's a very good coach. Florida coming in with a ton of talent and expectations in the SEC East. That, to me, is a barometer game. For both of those teams. Other than that, you've got Alabama, Missouri, Georgia, Arkansas. Arkansas, by the way, a new head coach over there as well. Kentucky and Auburn. Uh, I want to think that's going to be a blowout for Auburn, but you never know. We'll see what Kentucky brings to the table. Mississippi State, the Pirates, is going to be heading to LSU. Now, that one normally could be down the road a big game, but I just don't think he's got his dudes there yet at State. We'll see. And then, like I mentioned, Tennessee, South Carolina, and then Vanderbilt. Ooh, going to A&M, and the only good news is that it's not going to be a 12-man packed-out stadium, Eugene. Week one, what's your thoughts? Yeah, you know, obviously I'm looking forward to the Florida and Ole Miss game uh, with the lane train there being at Ole Miss. You know, the, the only connection I would say he probably has is that when he was down in Florida, he probably recruited some of the guys that are playing for Florida. Um, but the game I'm really looking forward to in week one is Mississippi State at LSU. Uh, that is the Pirate. He does have a high-flying offense. You know, he's recruited well some new players this year. They did have some good athletes uh, from last year. I know they lost a good bit to the draft on the defensive side of the ball, but they do have some good athletes there. Uh, LSU breaking in the new starting quarterback. Uh, I heard the backup is uh, looking really good as well, but, you know, the clearer thing out of Coach O was that, uh, you know, they have a clear number one starter, so that bodes well for them. Um, you know, they have a heck of a receiving core returning. I know they lost, you know, some good draft picks, but again, you know, they, they had like four receivers catch a thousand yards last year. Um, but, and it's at LSU. So whether or not, you know, they have 25% of a hundred thousand people or not, it's still a, a big raucous place to play. If there's no fans in there, you know, then it, that's a little different. Um, but it's still, you know, they are returning national champions. You know, they still have a lot of the coaching staff intact, um, you know, and, and some meat on the line, things like that. They always produce great running backs. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I, I really think that's going to be the, the marquee matchup of the week just because of you know, who's scheduled where. Um, you know, again, you know, obviously I pull for Florida, so that game at Ole Miss would be interesting. But, uh, yeah, I just really think that Mississippi State on the road, LSU, of the teams playing in week one, to me, that's the biggest matchup. Yeah, you know, I just don't – I'm not impressed with State's roster yet. I think in time he'll have the guys that he needs to have. I just I'm – not, I'm not sold on that yet. I think that LSU, you know, it may be uh, – it may be a good game because I think LSU lost a lot as well. I, I think LSU is going to take 
not a big jump down, but I, I think they take a little bit of a hit this year. You know, their main court, their main guy. Now they had dudes around, but everybody knows Boru was that guy. He was that spark plug, and we'll wait and see. I mean, everybody loves the backup quarterback, but we'll wait and see. So of course, Eugene's going to circle uh, the Mississippi State LSU. I've got Tennessee and South Carolina, but then look at week two. Boy, week two doesn't waste any time with a bunch of big games. Texas A&M travels to Alabama. That one, oh, man, there is a lot on the line in week two. Alabama, again, are they going to have a packed house or are they not? I know they'll have the new lighting on. They'll hope it's a night game. That'll give them a little bit of electricity through the stands. But uh, we'll wait and see how that one works out. Then Arkansas, Mississippi State, oh, not sure about that one. Auburn in Georgia. Boy, that's another big one. This is a rival game, East versus West. They are geographically extremely close to one another. They recruit a lot of the same guys. They battle for a lot of the top guys in the country right there in Georgia, through Florida, through Alabama, Tennessee. I mean, they all kind of have a very similar wish list when it comes to recruiting. So that game is pretty big. And then the Gamecocks travel to your Florida Gators. Now, South Carolina, uh, of course, uh, what will they look like after coming off of a big game hosting Tennessee, and if they win, do they have a bit letdown? If they lose, is it something they can build from? So that game, also another big circle it up for South Carolina and Florida, by the way, because what if Florida goes on the road and loses to Ole Miss by lane train, getting his thing together, and all of a sudden Florida finds uh, kind of trips up and loses twice out of uh, week one and two. So that's a good question there. Ole Miss and Kentucky go in. LSU, Vanderbilt. I think I think poor Vandy is going to be 0-2 pretty early. And then Missouri and Tennessee. Why do you like Missouri and Tennessee, you ask? I like that game because it's in Rocky Top. Tennessee goes home. But this is a trap game for, I think, Tennessee. This is a team, Missouri, they're really hot or really cold. They don't fly a lot of middle there. They're usually either one or the other. And they could be, again, no Kelly Bryant this year. There's going to be a new guy running that, that that format for him this year. We'll see. And, again, a lot of I feel Eugene has to do is what do they do against the Gamecocks coming out of Columbia? Are they healthy, number one? And I think that's going to be everybody's question after a very short turnaround of uh, of some fall ball but are practicing. But uh, what are they going to be able to mentally prepare themselves for as they will be home against Missouri? Yeah, and Tennessee under Pruitt has a history of starting slow in the season, like you mentioned last year. Uh, getting knocked off by our good friend Coach Elliott, going up there and knocking them off. But, you know, looking at week two, I think we both circled the same game. Texas A&M and Alabama, that, that to me, you know, whatever semblance of a national championship we'll have this year, that's game one on that road to the national champion. Whoever wins this game is already in the driver's seat to win the national championship, to win the SEC. Uh, so I think that's the biggest game in week two and one of the biggest games probably all season based on rosters and, and coaching and depth and things like that. But, uh, you know, and I'll give you some love to the Gamecocks at Florida. I don't think you're going into Florida and getting that win this year. I think Florida is just too loaded. Uh, Trask has developed quite well. He's became actually, he was uh, the 11th uh, most accurate passer last year. <clears throat> um, so, you know, again, and, and that's another year and another off season he's had to train under. His head coach, who, by the way, has developed Heisman quarterbacks and Heisman runner-ups and things like that, you know, a couple times, and not just Tebow, you know, but he had a very good one there at Mississippi State until the young man unfortunately broke his leg. But, you know, he Fitzgerald put up some monster numbers, you know, very uh, Tebow-like being able to run and throw. So, uh, you know, I, I think that South Carolina is going to go down to Florida, but I don't, 
I don't think they're going to come out with a win. But again, I think we both circle Texas A&M and Alabama being that, you know, there's so much on the line on that game. It's going to be Jack. That's going to be the 330 game, no doubt. Yeah, definitely a 330 game. Now, for the Gamecocks who are listening to Eugene, now Eugene and I both went to the University of South Carolina. He's got that Gator love as well. But that being said, Gamecocks, remember, you went in between the hedges last year. Nobody thought you were going to win that game either. So just go do what you got to do and let's see what happens. Week three, what does it look like? Alabama, Ole Miss. That one has a little bit of hello. Welcome, Nick Saban, to Hotty Toddy Land. I like that one right there. And I'm not sure that Ole Miss is going to have enough in the tank after week one and two, but we'll wait and see. But Lane Kiffin gets to host a guy that basically all the you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here type of thing. And, and it is what it is. And, and yet you remember the national championship game. I don't believe he, uh, he even got a chance to coach in that game. Remember, he was, uh, I think, relieved early because he had taken another position. That being said, uh, that game could be interesting for a while. I'm not sure how long. Uh, Arkansas and Auburn, I think Auburn's going to handle that one. This one. Now, see, here we go again. You look at Florida, they play Ole Miss, they play South Carolina, and then what do they do after that? Then they have uh, the likes of um, A&M at A&M. The biggest question to me, is the 12th man going to be, by week three, is the 12th man going to be allowed in the stadium? And uh, will they have that place rocking back and forth as normal? To me, that has a huge, huge asterisk by it. That could be the game of the week right there for, uh, for week three. Also, Tennessee and Georgia, that's a, a, a huge rivalry for multiple reasons. They're on the same side. That is an east battle. We'll wait and see what it looks like prior to getting into this weekend with these two teams. But I like Tennessee and Georgia. I'm just curious to see what Georgia's quarterback position is going to look like and can Tennessee maintain, as you said, and, and, and we continue to mention, they start a little slow, but can they start fast early and often? We'll see how that works out. Mississippi State, Kentucky, that win could be a big game, uh, of course, for the big Pirate. As we'll see what he can do against Kentucky on the road. Missouri at LSU, I think Missouri is going to be misery by about week three, we'll wait and see. And then South Carolina may be able to finally get a dub as they head to Vanderbilt. But we all know South Carolina is as good as anybody when it comes to uh, tripping up over uh, teams that they should beat. Remember, you beat Alabama, you go get beat by Kentucky. You beat this big team, you lose to this other team. So playing to the level of competition is always South Carolina's biggest hiccup. So for me, I'm going to say CBS is probably going to be heading – to uh, in week three, it looks like they're going to be heading to College Station against Texas A&M in Florida. Yeah, I agree. Normally, when I was looking at this, I would say Tennessee and Georgia, just because there's such a huge rivalry uh, between those two teams. You know, there's there's no love lost between Georgia and Tennessee, certainly. Um, but what I'm looking forward to, and again, I would circle the Florida-Texas A&M game. You know, Florida's defense, their their strength, their speed against Alabama, I mean, excuse me, against A&M's uh, speed and, and the skill spots and, you know, what they have up front. I think that's going to be a close game. Um, I don't think it's going to be uh, – I certainly hope it's not a scoring fest, but I really think, you know, that's the game of the week there just because, you know, it's a, it's a long road trip for Florida Gators to go out to College Station. You know, perhaps by week three, <clears throat> there'll be more fans in the stands in the state of Texas. Um, you know, so, you know, that that may be a factor as well. Certainly, if it's one of the, you know, if we start getting into week three and stands, you know, stadiums start to fill up, I think that's going to be a bigger factor than it is, you know, as we sit here today. But, again, I look forward to that game just because both teams, you know, with the speed on offense for A&M 
and the speed on defense for Florida. That's kind of the you know the game I'm circling on that one. Now, of course, we go into week four, and uh, we'll get to Florida in just a minute because i got to believe that Florida has really upset somebody in the SEC office when it comes down to scheduling because, man, they got another big dog coming this time to the Swamp. But we'll see again. The Swamp is also, and I've been uh, – went on a recruiting visit back in uh, 1997 down to the Swamp, so I have a feeling of what it feels like as a recruit to go into the Swamp and hear that loud crowd. It's going to be a little different without that – in the stands, but uh, starting off, Georgia, Alabama, that one in the past and probably will be a very big game, but there are a lot of big games here in week four. Georgia travels to Alabama. I want to believe, I want to believe that maybe this could be the year that Georgia decides to stop playing the bridesmaid and maybe gets to be the bride, but we'll wait and see. To me, that game week four will either give them the big-time ring, or they will get the little ring and they'll have to play the position that they're given. But I think week four is going to tell a lot about Georgia when they travel to Alabama. Ole Miss and Arkansas, again, we'll wait and see. I'm just not sold on Arkansas. They've got a lot of new things going on, and I've got to see some play before I can give them a ranking. Now, the Gamecocks host Auburn. I don't think they've ever beaten Auburn, oh, by the way. And for me, South Carolina, again, you know, they already had the toughest schedule coming in here in the country, one of the toughest for sure, and it didn't get any easier by who all came on their schedule. They already knew Auburn was on the schedule, so they'll host Auburn. We'll see what that looks like, and I'm going to skip this other game, but then, of course, Kentucky-Tennessee, that's usually a rival game. It should be, uh, you know, a, a little bit of TV time there. Texas A&M and Mississippi State, we'll see what A&M looks like after Florida. If they've got injuries, that will play a part as they go to Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Missouri, that could be actually a pretty good game because I'm not sure either team is at their best. Now, the game of the week will easily be, and Florida may get a couple of these, by the way, LSU at Florida. Remember these teams years ago, a couple of years ago, had that situation with the hurricane and it didn't work out? Well, guess what? It's going to work out. These teams are going to get to play, and it's going to be, I think, a, a very impressive day. And I don't know how much Florida can take because they're seeing a lot of talent early and they've got some of the best teams out of the SEC on their schedule. And that's why, you know, a lot of people were saying that, that both the Alabama president and Florida president were whining, uh, and that's what delayed the schedule, is that Florida had objected to the schedule early on, saying, come on, you know, we don't even get a bye, and you're giving us the top two top teams, you know, back-to-back-to-back in a way there. Um, you know, so LSU at Florida is always the game that's kind of like the, the high school girlfriend that I, you know, you, you you love to hate and hate to love, man, because it's just I think it's going to be a good game, um, a great game. I think, you know, with LSU, it depends on, you know, the difference that number five and number seven can make in that game. You know, what are they going to do, you know, with the ball in their hands? Are they going to be able to, uh, you know, uh, run the te- run up on Florida? Can they score against Florida, you know, with the new quarterback? Now, we say new quarterback. The guy's a rising junior. You know, he, he would have been a starter last year, but, oh, by the way, you know, a guy just set every – uh, SEC and a lot of NCAA records and became a Heisman Trophy winner. So, you know, finishing second place in your team to that guy is not a heck of a big deal. But then, you know, he doesn't have a lot of the experience other than, you know, some mop-up time last year. So we'll see how that goes. But, you know, will, again, Florida, will they be beat up by then or not? We'll see that. But I'm going to call an upset in this one. I'm going to call South Carolina with the first ever win over Auburn. Mm. 
That's a big one. Write that down, ladies and gentlemen. Eugene, of course, uh, putting some facts and figures together. Everybody, by the way, back to LSU, loves the backup quarterback. Uh, the clipboard <clears throat> Jesus, as they call Charlie Whitehurst in the NFL, uh, you know, whoever the LSU guy that's going to step up. Yes, he's a junior, but he's never played consistently inside the confines of the SEC on a given Saturday afternoon or Saturday night special, whatever it may be. Uh, and I wonder if some of these games, by the way, they could be a Thursday night game as well. Uh, that being said, let's go to week five quickly because uh, we're going to run out of some time here, and I don't want to get into the big man's uh, time slot as we're going to be heading to Oceanside at 730. But uh, week five, and we'll continue the rest of the schedule on Thursday after this, is Alabama-Tennessee. We all know that's a big one. I don't care if they're both undefeated or if they're both defeated. It doesn't matter. This is the Hackfield versus the McCoys. This is the Nick Saban versus whoever's on the other side. And, oh, remember, Jeremy Pruitt used to be a coach in Alabama, and he understands how serious this robbery is. It cost Philip Fulmer, you know, when he won the national championship, there's always a question about the Alabama conversation. So we'll wait and see as Alabama will travel to Tennessee and see how that works out. Then it's Auburn and Ole Miss. Missouri at Florida. I think Florida finally catches a break. Georgia at Kentucky. And then watch out, South Carolina. You're going to head over to LSU to play in Baton Rouge. And your only hope, and your only hope, I hate to say this, is that the fans and the stands aren't there because that is a place that is loud and proud, and they rock and they roll. And I love the band that does what they do, and it is LSU. It should be an interesting one. But for me, the game of the week, without doubt, given the respect, but given where they both could be in the rankings is Alabama and Tennessee. Yeah, and by contract, I believe that game's always going to be the 330 CBS game. You know, it's just it's just the way it's been set up. That's one of the rules, one of the four rules with SEC scheduling uh, is that Alabama Tennessee gets that uh, close to that Halloween game uh, as well as, you know, just like the Georgia and Auburn, uh, they get their own matchup. Those are the four guaranteed you know, opponents, and that was kind of an agreement that's been all along. So I'm gonna circle that one uh, as the game of as the game of the week, just because I think that's just the way it's going to end up. However, I'm looking at one. Uh, I'm looking at an upset. I think Ole Miss knocks off Auburn, and also too can Georgia at Kentucky. I'm putting Georgia on upset alert. Uh, you know, I really like the coach at Kentucky. He's done big things. You know, you know he had some great. Uh, couple of years when he was down as an assistant at Florida State. He's coming to Kentucky. You know, he's knocked off some big some big teams. He's played well against some other teams. Um, so I'm really thinking I'm going to put uh, Auburn and Georgia on upset alert, but the game of the week, definitely Alabama at Tennessee. Yeah, it should be a good one here. And uh, we'll continue the breakdown of the SEC on Thursday night. We'll look at some of the games in the ACC as well so again not only high school we touch on the college front as well those are kind of uh our, our one two dish if you would here on the uh, buffet of southern sports central we got to go to break because we got the bus pulling up over at the tank at oceanside and we're going to be catching up with the big man coming in here in the class of 22 it is six five 300 pounder jacob ashley he's coming in for visit number two and again Thank God we fed him before we got him on the air because he has definitely been handling business out there on the practice field, guys. Don't go anywhere. We got some more Southern Sports Central right after this. The truth can hurt you or the truth can change you. 
What will truth do to you? I just want to be happy. But if I keep on doing the things that keep on bringing me pain, there's no one else I can blame if I'm not happy. Wasted time, but now I can see the biggest enemy, it was me. So I'm not happy. Cry yourself to sleep. Shout and raise your hand. It won't change a thing, child, until you understand. If you're tired of seeing the same, if you're tired of things not changing, it's time for you to get out the way. Don't get stuck in how you feel. Take Jesus, take the wheel. He knows the road that you need to take. But it only works if Get yourself and say, Don't you want to be happy? Yeah. I just want to be happy. But if I keep on giving my heart for people to tear apart, the healing will never start. So I can be happy. Yes, Lord. Will I ever be happy? Cry yourself to sleep. Shout and raise your I'm talking to you to say If you're Do you want to be happy? 
he's uh that's his job and he knows he knows what he's doing and he's getting us strong and I mean he's really just doing everything that he can to get us ready for this football season. We're checking in at Oceanside with one of the land sharks, Jacob Ashley. He comes in the class of 22, and he is 6'5", 300 pounds. And whatever they've done during the summer to stretch this cat out, throw in a bunch of muscle and weigh off some of that weight, they need to teach everybody to do it because this young man looks like he can go right now. And I'm telling you, he's going to be a big-time problem for a lot of defensive lines on the schedule. We'll go over that here in moments, uh, you've got another guy, and he uh, got to be honest with you, your position coach, the offensive line, he played for the Gamecocks where I went to school and uh, played some athletics up there as well. He also knows what he's doing by far in few, and I tell you, there aren't many like this guy. He is five-star in the coaching realms. He was a five-star football player, and it's got to be kind of nice, right, to have a guy that's been there, he's done that, and he's done it at many places, so uh, you've seen what he's able to do. Tell me, introduce to me and the listeners, who is this big guy that I'm talking about that runs that offensive line week in and week out? Uh, that'd be Coach Rivens. He's, uh, I'd arguably say he's the best offensive line coach in South Carolina, period, college, high school, any rank. Um, he just, I mean, as you said, he's coached on multiple different levels. He's recruited. He's played. He was a four-year starter at Carolina. He uh he knows what he's doing and he's he's up there working us every single day, getting us better, just making sure we're ready for this upcoming season. And I have no doubt we're ready right now, but we still got time to go, so we'll be ready when the date comes. Now he's a big dude, you're a big dude, and and again when oceans collide, you get quite a bit of a. Uh, or, or let's go to Dabo Sweeney. You know, iron sharpens iron, and the sparks begin to fly. How many times? Has he gone belly to belly with you and had a coming to Jesus meeting, if you will? I mean, I'm, it's happened once or twice, but I, you try you try <laughs> not to make Coach Robbins mad. That's uh, if you can, Coach Robbins is a real. He's not. I'm not gonna say he's quiet, but he's it's hard to make him upset. So when you got him up in your face yelling, you know you did something wrong. Especially when it's yelling things that, uh, quite frankly, aren't nice, and I'm sure. You know, very few and far between. He's going to have those moments, as all great coaches do. Now, you guys have been fortunate enough because looking at your coaches and all of these guys come in, you got uh, on the other side, you've got two former Gamecocks over there. That's got to be huge for you guys to have that type of, of college atmosphere at a high school level on top of all the other success that you guys continue to see over there at Oceanside, uh, tell me a little bit, Jacob, what's it like to have all that coaching experience that has already played college ball? Some of these guys have played some pro ball at different levels. What is it like for you to have that type of availability to not only them, but, oh, by the way, your head football coach was a quarterback at the Citadel, which is one of the top military colleges in the country. It's, uh, I mean, it's just, it's a blessing more than anything. I mean, you, we have coaches who are, fresh out of college playing football so they know what like the new the new colleges are doing versus some of the older more experienced coaches who've been coaching for a while they know what know what's going to work in high school ball and also what what they did back in uh when they played so it's just a mix of new old and really everything under the sun so it's definitely it's uh I mean I said it before it's a blessing I mean you get every single aspect of football that you can get from every single level so it's uh it's really good to have all the coaches we have. I think I think we're really blessed with a great coaching staff right now. 
That you are. Of course, Oceanside has uh, locked and loaded on the coaches' side, but let's talk some of the uh, big dudes not only around you right there on the offensive line, which I want you to start with your teammates, the guys in the trenches, the big nasties, if you will, on the offensive line that are going to protect that quarterback that I've had a chance to watch him as well, by the way, in a few camps that we've been able to attend. Uh, but introduce some of the big playmakers that I'm going to be hearing their name called out a lot over the PA or possibly over the radio. All right, so you got a uh, – I mean, I'm honestly going to tell you, our whole offensive line, you're going to hear you're going to hear all of us a lot. It's uh, me, a right tackle. Will Gauze, a right guard. He's Will Gauze probably 6'2", 6'3", 275, and just as strong as, as, strong as any 16-year-old I know. There's uh, Mickey Lee at center. He's probably 6'2", 6'1", 6'2", 300. He's, uh, he's just a big powerhouse. Put someone in front of him, I guarantee he's going to move him. Jackson Lynch, he's on the left left side of guard. Jackson's probably six foot, two forty, two fifty. But Jackson's Jackson's quick. Jackson can get all around the ball when we need him to. So have someone pulling out into space or pulling out for a corner or safety, that's the man for the job. And then one of the other big ones is uh Monroe Freeling. He's gonna be a sophomore this year. And he is he's six eight, two sixty, and he's every bit of it too. I mean he's just lean. Big strong kid, and uh, you'll hear you'll hear Monroe's name a lot this year. But I would imagine uh, th- does he have a nickname yet? Because I know he's one of the younger guys, but he's definitely uh, holding his own in many levels. There, he's got a lot of attention, like yourself. Uh, is-, is there a nickname for that guy yet? Because I can think of a few that we- we'll-, we'll catch up off the air on. But I, I got to feel like some of you guys got to have a few nicknames floating around the offensive line. Uh, we got a few nicknames, but we. Uh... We're just gonna we're gonna roll with Monroe. He uh, give him another year, see what he does this year, and uh, on varsity, and he might he might mess around and get a nickname. Yeah, no doubt. Of course, you got a big quarterback that you guys are going to be protecting as well. And and again, watching what he's been able to do and a lot of these camps, you know, he steps into. And I don't know what it is over there at Oceanside. You guys continue to kind of turn and burn some good quarterbacks, one of them at Wake Forest, another one is off at college on the northern side of the world, and here comes another young man. This guy has his leadership stepping up. But, again, I watch him at camps, and he has no problem taking that leadership role around guys he doesn't know. So I can only imagine his leadership abilities as the quarterback. Uh, it got to be a pretty impressive at practice. Oh, yeah, Garrison stepped from uh, – he stepped no diss on him, but he uh, didn't play a whole lot last year to QB1 this year, and – I mean, his his leadership is uh, – there There was a switch flip somewhere. It's through the roof. He's – I mean, he's – you could convince me he's a senior senior quarterback that's been starting for four years. He's, he's really bringing the team up during, I mean, conditioning, working out. Whenever someone messes up, you know, when other people are mad and we're all tired and it's hot out, Garrison's the one picking them up and uh, making sure he doesn't get too down. And Garrison steps up a lot as a leader, and it's going to be – going to be interesting to see what we can do this year with us up front and Garrison in the backfield. That'll be uh, that'll be good because Garrison can sling the ball, but I'll tell you, Garrison ain't slow either. Get him out there around the outside running the ball, and that ain't nothing you want to mess around with. Yeah, no doubt, by the way. I, I gave him the nudge and said, look, you got some pretty healthy dudes on the front line. If you plan on staying off your keister, you better make sure their food is rolling pretty thoroughly on the Thursday night. So if you guys already made sure that he understands it's his responsibility to feed you guys on Thursday night prior to the game? Oh, I was getting on him today after practice. 
I told him today, I said, Garrison, you gotta you gotta start feeding us linemen because our uh, our JV head coach right now, he's the coach Jalen. He was kind of the assistant offensive line coach last year, and he's he's pushing that he wants to do it. But it's gonna we're gonna have to figure out and see. We're gonna see if Corey Garrison's gonna step up and feed us this year, or what we're we gonna do. But that's not really the biggest biggest of our concerns at this point. Nah, you're right about that. Although, although, man, I tell you, a lot goes when you feed somebody that takes care of you. I, I shared the story on Sunday night about forgetting to tell one of my offensive linemen in my day that we had moved locations, and he just happened to let my left side pull a little bit, and that allowed a guy in, and I picked up my cleat on the other side of the field, and he said, I bet you'll remind me next time where we're supposed to eat. So it, it carries pretty big dividends, man. And, and, again, you know, we look forward to watching uh, all of that happening now. Before we get into this year and, and this upcoming schedule, I've got it in front of me. I want to kind of go through it with you, Jacob, is, uh, you know, big games, big expectations coming out of uh, the Landshark camp uh, from uh, what you guys are putting together. But last year, you guys had the leading rusher in the low country, arguably one of the best running backs in the state. And, of course, Keegan Williams. And I know you played some time up here on the O-line, and I know we give him a lot of love, man. But without you guys forcing that hole, forcing – the push and the pancake. My God, the pancake. I saw you on uh, your Twitter page. My God, it was impressive. Uh, what is it about this big offensive line that thrives you guys to say, look, we're going to make it happen so that this guy just has to do his thing and hit that gap and hit it in stride? I think it's really all mental on the uh, on our side of the offensive line. We all kind of know that, you know, to play offensive line, you got to be mean and you got to be dirty and you got to, you got to be ready to fight when it comes down to it. So I think, I think we all get in our three point stance. We all know that when we come off the ball, it's it's not going to be sweet. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be, it's going to be dirty. It's going to hurt and it's going to be hard, but I think that's what, what our offensive line loves about the game. So. Now, of course, last year we're live right now with the big man hanging out on the campus at Oceanside over in Mount Pleasant. These guys move up from two A to now three A and Jacob Ashley is, the class of 22, 6'5", 300 pound offensive lineman, one of the captains, I can promise you. It comes with his size and it comes with huge expectations, not only for him, but the entire Landsharks as they step it up into region and into a 3A level of football. It looks like you guys are going to scrimmage, I believe, still Fort Dorchester, possibly Carver's Bay. That will be uh, at Carver's Bay and at Fort Dorchester. That should be uh, at least tune-up opportunities for both of you guys. And then you get right at it, Bishop England. They've been doing some big things in 3A football. You know Bishop England. Heck, you probably know a few ballers over there, Bishop England, because these cats live a little bit of everywhere in Charleston, right? Your thoughts on opening weekend and kind of looking at getting into 3A football from 2A football? I mean, there's definitely a big difference when you step from 2A to 3A. That's the – 3A is the big marker for – when it starts to be, you know, real big boy football, you start getting a lot of attention. But I think at the end of the day, 2A, 3A, 1A, 5A, you're still putting a helmet and cleats on. So I know we're just going to go out there as a as a whole team and strap up and we're just going to be ready to play. So, I, I mean, I could – it's a faceless it's a faceless opponent when you go out on the field. You just – doesn't matter who it is, they're the bad guys. You got to beat them. I like the answer. Look at this. This young man sounds like he's done this before. I love it as we're live right now with Jacob Ashley, class of 22, 6'5", 300 pounds. And I'm 
still kind of hoping and uh, looking here. Uh, Hanahan is on the rush on the schedule, but you've got this is the uh, season. It starts off on the 25th. If this is accurate and up to date, you got Bishop England at home. You go to North Charleston, and then you host Hanahan. Now, not one but two games are in your own backyard. Hanahan has Coach Art, who of course comes over from Timberland. You guys know Timberland. You played him last year. Big, big game there, but he's going to bring his talents to the Hawks, and I already know he circled that game. Y'all circled that game. Uh, but you look at your schedule. You're at home against Battery Creek. We'll see what happens with Gray Collegiate. I know at one time it was supposed to be somewhere. We'll see if that can somehow work itself out. And then you have, uh, you know, the playoffs going in here. Of course, Academic Madness on here. When you guys look at it, I know Coach called very well. I had a chance to be his right-hand man in communications as uh, we did the radio together for many years over at Somerville. He's always been a guy of few words, but when he spoke, you made sure you heard what he had to say. So far, having a coach like Coach Colin, I know loving your mamas is one of his things, and unity is the other thing. What's the biggest impact Coach Calls had on you in such a short period and being able to stay in touch with you as he's taken over the land sharks? He's really uh, – Coach Calls showed that he cares. I mean, not that any other coach hasn't, but – Coach Calls really reached out and made sure we're all doing okay through all this, uh, all the COVID stuff, and treating everybody, uh, treating everybody like they should be. And I mean, Coach Call, he uh, he came in and he said, "I'm not going to try to bring anything new." He said, "I'm going to sit back and I'm going to learn y'all's plays, and we're going to play Oceanside football because that's what it is at the end of the day." So I can, uh, I really appreciate that because I know some coaches would come in and bring their whole playbook and make everybody learn new plays when. Uh, when when Coach Call came in, and he was just like, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn y'all's plays, and we're gonna play ball." So he's uh he's definitely, I think, one of the best options that we could have got as a head coach. And I know we we as a team are all very grateful for having him uh, on the coaching staff now. Yeah, I can tell you there were some heavy eyes when he left Somerville, uh, but excited to see him land somewhere, and uh, very appreciative of uh, how you guys have loved on this guy who. A lot of these guys are looked up to as a father, and I know that's how this works in the sports world. I mean, you know, these guys see you more than your dad and mom see you during the football seasons. I know that for sure. And, of course, you know, uh, he's the guy that I can personally vouch that he'll call you individually and check on you when he hadn't heard from you. Maybe he crosses, you know, your mind. He's a coach that will reach out. I think that speaks volumes of him. And I know, of course, uh, you know, he gets it honestly from his grandfather and those who he surrounds himself by. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about you as we're, of course, live right now on the campus at Oceanside. Jacob Ashley, class of 22, 6'5", 300-pound captain on the offensive line there, is here with us tonight as he's checking in on a Tuesday night. Now, let's talk academics because why is that? You started school today, right? Today was your first day. Did mom get that beautiful first day of school smile and, uh, you know, the weird awkward backpack, but yet you really weren't going anywhere because I know you learned from the house today? Yes, sir. It was uh, it was definitely strange today. First day back at school, and it was all on Zoom meetings. So, uh, I mean, it was it was good. It's good to see people that I haven't seen in a while, and uh, ready to get back in the classroom. But it's just it's it's such a different world over the computer than it is in person. So, I think we, uh, I think most everybody's still kind of adapting to doing all that stuff on uh, those group calls and and everything like that, the Zoom calls, and then working from that. It's it's going to be interesting these first couple of weeks while we're on computers to see, uh, see how all that's going to go. Now, of course, you're at Oceanside, which is a huge college prep school. They 
while we know that there's, it, it, it's basically a focus on athletics with a huge emphasis on academics. And academically, Oceanside is one of the top in the state. They're ranked in the country. And while we give all of your athletics over there a lot of credit for what they do academically, Jacob, you and along with your, your students, friends over there, everybody in your class continues to just shine in different ways. How nice is it, though, to go to a school that, that, that they focus on not one but both, but also gives you a chance. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys go and, and go to school early, and then you get out about midway through, and then you practice in the afternoon. Is that right? Kind of a college schedule to kind of get you ready for the future, right? Yes, sir. Uh, so the regular schedule is uh, wake up 7:30, be in the classroom at 7:30. That is, and uh, hour periods. You have four periods, unless you. Uh, I mean, those older kids, juniors and seniors, we don't uh, – some some days we have A or B days where we might not have a class every uh, every other block. So, I mean, you really just go until 1130 and then 12 o'clock hits and we're on the field working out, running. I mean, we come back, watch film, lift in the weight room. Just – it's definitely uh, athletics. It's, it's academic school. Academics is the first thing that comes in place, but athletics is right there behind it. But I would say uh, we we definitely have some of the best teachers school-wise that are uh, dedicated to making sure you're going to learn. They're not just going to be like, all right, you do this, and if you have a question, too bad, figure it out. All all the teachers care, and they'll all make sure you understand it. And they won't put you in a bad situation. Well, I think that's amazing here, and I've had the blessing to actually – this, uh, I think a year ago, you actually joined this show a year ago yesterday. No, it was a year ago yesterday I met you in the hallway over there at Oceanside as I did a live remote there on the campus. Eugene actually wasn't on the staff here with us at the Sports Central, but he was part of that getting us, getting the table, getting us situated. And, uh, again, it's hard to believe how time flies and how much, uh, you know, has changed, but yet so many great things have come out of uh, some tough times as we're live right now virtually on campus over at Oceanside with the big man, Jacob Ashley, class of 22, 6'5", 300-pounder. And the final thing that I want to kind of have a brief conversation with you, and I told you we weren't going to get much into it because uh, we'll get more into this as September hits. But how excited. I mean, you know, there's a thing called Christmas Day as a small child, and we look forward to Christmas Day. I mean, and that's kind of what I know week one is for you right now. You can't wait for week one. But let's be selfish. Only for a minute. And when we hang this up, you got to go back to being unselfish. But for selfish moments, September 1st, you actually can get stuff and have conversations, and you get a little bit of that attention from colleges. And yet, I don't want you to mention any colleges. I'm just asking you the simple question. Anticipation, man. Can you not wait for that one moment? You've waited for this day, you know, forever to hear from a college over a phone call or whatever it may be. How excited are you to know it? September 1st, you officially can be contacted by a college recruiting you and your service at their university. I'm excited. I'm ready for that clock to hit 12 and hit the start. It's a, uh, you know, it's a process that a good, I'm not going to say a lot, but a good majority of football players go through. And I know a lot of Oceanside go through it, that whole process. So it's exciting to, to join some of the boys that uh, are already getting talks when they're older and, uh, you know, kind of step up and, I'm your age now. I'm getting looks too, and it's like it's going to be kind of a battle between <laughs> between the kids our age September first. The uh, you know, so you can almost get more looks, or but that all starts in the game. That all starts how you're doing on the field and in the classroom. So, 
got to do good there, and, and then you can roll more with colleges from that. My man sounds like he's been doing this for 20 years. He's not even 20 years old, and that is the big man, Jacob Ashley, class of 22, 6'5", 300 pounds. Remember this name. Ladies and gentlemen, you will hear him once again because I got a feeling it's pretty good. He's going to be playing somewhere on a Saturday afternoon, be it the SEC, the ACC, or anywhere where he sees his feet hit the ground and the growth begins to happen at whatever university or college gets fortunate enough to get his opportunities that he will bring to the table. But before that happens, it's Coach Call, it's Oceanside, and it's the 2020 season. Jacob, God bless you. Thank you for being a part of tonight's show, my man. Really proud of your academics, by the way. Give me a grade point average going into this year before you start a class today as you get ready for your junior year. Uh, I honestly couldn't give you a marked number just because everything restarts, but we're going to go into this year shooting for, a, I mean, a high five or a low five, high four. I mean, just as best as you I can like get because academics, I mean, good grades never hurt anybody. So, hey. That's what's going to get the first attention, my friend. And then, like you said, you take care of business on the field and everything off the field will handle itself, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your night. Enjoy practice tomorrow. Stay safe, stay hydrated, stay distant, and we'll see each other soon. I'm sure I'll catch up with you one-on-one here in the next few days, my man. Thanks again for coming on, and thank your mom and dad for letting us hang out over there at Oceanside with you, of course, and the Ashley family, buddy. All right. Thank you for having me on. Go Landshark. Always a Look at there. I tell you what, Eugene, we don't have much time because we're against the top of the hour. But, man, from the first time to this time, he did a great job in the first round. The second round, it sounded as if he's been doing this uh, behind our back. I don't know if he's been on a lot of radios before, but I feel like he's cheating on us. We'll have the conversation with him one-on-one. But he did a great job tonight. I love the confidence in him. I love the ability for him to be able to dial it up and have a conversation about his teammates. He kind of broke down the big nasties to the left and those to the right. Talked about his quarterback and even gave some love to some others. But he handled the interview. I got to tell you, this is why I do what I do. This is why I invented the platform Southern Sports Central is to hear this confident young man. And we've heard many of these guys. Heck, we had five of them all the way in the upstate. And Jacob, of course, uh, representing the low country in style, Eugene. Yeah, no doubt. He's such a big man. And just, you know, I, I hear him on the radio. And it's such a different change. You know, I've been around him since he came into the program. A little over two years ago, I was just thinking back to when I took him to a camp uh, in June going into his freshman year. We went up to the big mega camp there at UNC Charlotte, and uh, his voice has certainly changed a lot. I mean, he was a big guy, still kind of had that, you know, the uh, the high-pitched voice, and now he's got hair on his chin, and he's filled out. You know, he's lost all that baby fat, and, you know, he's developed in the weight room. He's been pushed and pushed and pushed, and then – you know, about uh, early last season, man, he was just a dude that was just so big. And uh, you could just – something happened at practice. I didn't want to go into it, but something happened at practice, and you just saw the kind of light come on in his eyes one day. And uh, towards the end of the field, like in the season, when you talked about that film, man, that poor guy gets Woodland, man. He just punished that guy over and over again. There was a guy against Timberland that uh, came around on the play, and Jacob pulled, and all you see is the guy flying. Like, kind of like that example where you said one cleat went to the other sideline. You know, he just – when it came on for him, and that's what everybody was just waiting for because you knew when that flip switched with this kid, that attitude was going to equal size. 
And when it did, he just became a very dangerous player in a good way, a kid that you want on your side of the line that you don't want to have to face on the other side of the line. You know, he just – his whole lot, whole demeanor changed, even in the weight room, the locker room. I uh, stopped by to watch him lift weights the other day. Man, he was just like, hey, can you throw some country on? You know, and so he just, you know, <laughs> never before would even speak up like that. So it's just a, it's a remarkable change watching him, you know, develop into the man he is. Well, you got to give a lot of love to the parents, uh, to the staff, to those who have crossed his path that have taken time to have the conversation. And I've been blessed to be one of those guys, and I know you as well. we got to go to break. It is top of the hour, and the bus has left Oceanside, and the next stop is Conway, South Carolina, just outside of Myrtle Beach with one of the big powerhouses around the state of South Carolina is, of course, Conway High School. The Tigers' very own head football coach, Terry, will join us next. Guys, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Southern Sports Central on a Tuesday afternoon. Welcome back. It is hour three. Just like that, we put two in the books. We hang out for the final hour right here on Southern Sports Central. You can find us on Facebook at Southern Sports Central and on Twitter at SO Sports Central. This segment brought to you by our good friends over at Gerbs Pharmacy, located at 140 South Main Street, right here in downtown Somerville. You can find them on the web at Gerbs Pharmacy. You have a shout on the phone at 843-873-2531. And I always brag about the knickknacks and all the things that they got inside there, so you need to go drop by and say hello, grab your hot dog and some ice cream and a Coca-Cola in a glass bottle. It's old school, man. It's one of the greatest places right here in Somerville. Now, let's go to one of the greatest places up in Conway as we virtually take a trip to the high school. We're in here with a guy that I've had a chance to get to know for the last three or four years, and that is their head football coach, Coach Terry. What's up, Coach? What's going on? I hope all is well in radio land. (laughs) <laughs> it is going well. Of course, I talked to you earlier, and you were doing what coaches do, anything that needs to be done. You're literally cutting the grass, Coach. Uh, again, that's how we were raised up there in North County, man. If it's got to get done, we just do it. Hey, we do what we need to do to, to get the job done. <laughs> now, of course, uh, being the head football coach at Conway and, and the listeners here, they know my path uh, has uh, started down there in Surfside Beach, which I went to Sackestee. They didn't have – uh, a St. James. They didn't have a Carolina Force. They had Myrtle Beach, Conway, Sackestee. North Myrtle Beach was somewhere out there. Lawrence was out there. But it was that, that triangle uh, of competition between the three of us, even in your days of playing there at Conway. Kind of tell us uh, a little bit about you and for our listeners that are getting to know you for the first time, Coach. Uh, give us your history from your days at, at Conway all the way to your head coaching days here today. Okay. Well, I graduated from Conway High in 1987. I know that's a few years ago, but uh graduated from Conway High. Uh, I participated in, in football and track, uh, made the North-South, played in the North-South uh, with some unbelievable, talented guys. I went on to play at Western Carolina. Um, I played Cal back there, started for four years. And um, after I graduated um, – I came back home and and I started working for Conway National Bank. I was a, a computer programmer and uh eventually went on to become a loan officer, but 
when I came back, I went to Coach Jordan and asked him, uh, could I help? Is there any way I could help with the football program? You know, football's been uh, a big part of my life and shaped me to who I am today. And uh, so I went to him and, and we talked and I volunteered as a coach. And that began in 1993. And in 2007, uh, things were going awry with the mortgage world. And um, I had an opportunity to leave. We were just off of uh, appearing in the state championship against Greenwood. And Coach Jordan called and said, all right, here's your chance. Uh, If you want to leave the banking industry and come into teaching, I have a job for you. So. I interviewed and uh, ended up getting a teaching job at Conway High and became a full-time coach and worked with him, uh, worked hard over the years, and eventually uh, I got to where I am today. Now, of course, uh, Coach uh, is in this right now. It's Coach Terry. He is the head football coach at Conway high school over the Conway Tigers. Uh, a lot of history over there, a lot of big names coming through there. We're going to go through some of those, but the first one we start off with is Coach Jordan. I mean, we talk about the Coach McKissick. You talk about the coach up there at Dillon, but you cannot mention go through without mentioning Coach Chuck Jordan and all that he meant, not only for uh, the low, of course, uh, the Grand Strand all the way down the low country, but just his presence in the state of South Carolina. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, having him as a, a guy, I guess, would be kind of a mentor uh, that you played for, as well as, of course, uh, coached uh, now under as well? Well, you know, Coach Jordan uh, means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, he did a lot for Conway High School, um, not only in football, but, but athletics. The athletic complex that we have was his vision, and uh, he raised the funds in order to make it a reality. Um, you know, he taught more than just football, you know, and, and I got to see him in, in many facets as a player. Um, he taught toughness, taught loving the Lord. He taught toughness. He taught doing the right things to become a man. And, you know, that transition when I went to college, he was someone I can call and ask questions. And, you know, he got me in a lot of ways. Um, throughout college and making some decisions about what I wanted to do in life. And then when I came back, you know, coaching for him, you know, he he kind of pointed me in the right directions in how to coach. You know, it's one thing to play the position, but it's another to coach the position. And he, uh, he was very patient, and he helped me to grow into a, a decent running back coach. But then we became friends, and then, you know, again, he was still there to guide me in in a lot of situations that I was in and watching him do things for players that he never wanted to get credit for. He always uh, set aside funds in case a, a, a kid would need something, and um, he wouldn't tell them where it was coming from. But he did that. It showed the softer side of him um, when, as a player, you always saw the the demanding, the hardcore side of, of coach. But I got to see him, um, the softer side of him with his players. And then when he became a parent, you know, 
it was a whole different ball game. Things things changed um, the way he looked at other kids. Not to say that he looked at them in a negative way. He just looked at them in another way, uh, as a father would would see a son. We're live right now on the campus, virtually hanging out at Conway High School. The Conway Tigers head football coach, Coach Carlton Terry, joins us here on Southern Sports Central for the second time uh, since we've been up and running. Of course, he's been coaching down there now uh, for quite some time and has put out some of his own talent. Now, Coach, let's before we talk about a few other things, uh, and stadium is going to be one because you guys used to play at the graveyard. That's where we played you guys. That's where you played. Now you guys have the stadium in the backyard, and there's there's a lot of a lot of fun to that, but I know the memories that were made over at the graveyard kind of speaks on its own. But tell us before I talk about your players, what was it like uh, for you to to be there in in the graveyard? You saw that field. Now that's where, the, for those who don't know, that's where Coastal Carolina's field is located. It's positioned differently. It didn't run parallel to the highway. It actually ran towards the highway. Uh, but uh, from that transition, from going to the graveyard to going behind the school, uh, you know, you took on some new traditions, I would imagine. We did. You know, we used to say when I was playing and, and when I started coaching, we were playing over at uh, Coastal, you know, every time we play, we we got on a bus. So the bus ride was special going to the uh, to the graveyard. And, uh, and after a win, it was uh, extra special because we used to get – you know, the police to escort us back into, back into town at that point. So that was a a special moment, but, you know, having a a stadium on campus, we felt like more kids, more students could attend games because it was, you know, hard to get over to coastal from Conway, especially back then when, you know, a lot of kids didn't, didn't drive to school. They rode the bus, but um, it was, extra special when we stadium behind the high school because it you know we always had school spirit but it kind of amped up some being that it was uh on our campus now coach you've uh kind of been building your own name there with a couple of your players and i'm going to mention two and i want you to elaborate if there's a lot more and i know there are but but of course the two that come to mind is the most recent Mr. Taka Hemingway, who I believe is now at the University of South Carolina and a former Gamecock, former Tiger, Brian Edwards. I mean, I think everybody knew when he was about seven years old, he was going to be big, just like Taka was going to be a big name coming out of Conway. Uh, tell us about your success. Uh, let's brag on you a little bit, Coach, and some of the big names and guys that have come through your program since you've taken it over. Well, since I've taken over, um, actually some of the guys, were, you know, kind of Coach Jordan's guys, but have Raekwon O'Neal, who's up at Rutgers right now. Um, Daywan Granger, who's at Furman playing quarterback. We have Jalen Moody, who is at Alabama uh, playing linebacker and special teams. We have uh, uh, Jawan Moody, who is uh, Jalen's twin brother. He went to East Carolina, but ended up transferring to South Carolina State. Uh, we have uh, we've been blessed with a lot of talent. Uh, a couple of guys that went to a junior college, um, and their season is is postponed to the spring. But we're looking for those guys to transfer and uh, play play college football as well. Uh, one that I forgot to mention is Gunnar Britton, 
Uh, he's a offensive lineman. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were on a, a group text last night uh, with those guys who graduated in 2018, and uh, you know we communicate from time to time, just making sure that the communication's open, and if they needed anything, I would do my best to help them. I love it, coaches. We're live right now virtually on the campus over at Conway High School in Conway, South Carolina, with the Tigers head football coach. Coach Terry joins us here on Southern Sports Central. Not only football, by the way, they put some talent out. The Holmes brothers are, are from right there. Uh, of course, uh, if you know Timmy Whitaker, that's another big name that comes out of there. Josh Rush is uh, coming to mind. And how about these two names? Uh, you and I both know these guys. You probably know them actually a lot better than I do growing up there in Conway as Coach Spivey. He created the Spivey Special. He was a coach in Somerville here for a while as the OC. Now he's over at Ashley Ridge uh, looking to do big things. And uh, Everett Sands, former running back over there, also at the Citadel. And he's coached in multiple places, doing multiple things. But he's uh, always back in the community in Conway, giving back to those who gave to him, Coach. Uh, two great guys. Uh, they were young pups when uh, when I was at the high school. I think when I was a senior uh, Everett was maybe uh, a sophomore, and Hunter is, is a little younger. Um, but uh, they did great things uh, at Conway High School and went on to do great things and, and represent Conway well. Now we talk about the team you got today coming in, Coach. Uh, and and kind of correct me if I'm wrong here, did you guys start practicing this past Monday, well, a week ago from yesterday? Is that when you all got back out on the field? Well, actually, we got started, I think it was the 7th um, of okay. August. It was the hurricane came through, and, and we had to postpone. We were supposed to start that Monday, but we ended up starting on Wednesday. And uh, it was good to get the guys back out there and get the, and get to see the guys and visit with them. Uh, social distance, um, we, we adhered to social distance rules, but uh, able to see <laughs> those guys and communicate with them and, and laugh with them. Uh, it was great to see the guys back on campus and, and eager to uh, learn football and, and play. Now, I know a lot of your position players, the receivers, are, are trying to do their own social distancing by catching the ball and running into the end zone. You're, you're, of course, you're running back. He's going to do it. How about this quarterback? You kind of know this quarterback a little bit. Uh, Coach Terry, uh, you, you got this young man. His last name is Terry. He's going to be taking the snap this year. And, uh, you know, I, I got to be honest, man, it, I expect big things out of him. I've seen a lot of his highlights. Uh, he shared his huddle with me and a few of those plays, but I can see where he gets it from, Coach. <laughs> I don't know about that. Little quarterback, he's uh, – I know him well. Uh, I've known him all his <laughs> life. <laughs> uh, I was the first one to hold him when he, when, uh, when he was born. But uh, he's a hardworking kid. Uh, I'm, I'm really pleased with his progress. He's worked hard since um, January with a quarterback trainer, Ramon Robinson, and just looking at him grow um, physically and mentally from January to now um, has been impressive to me. I'm, I'm really pleased with his progress. Now, of course, he's going to be the general. He's QB1, and you gave Ramon some love, and we're going to follow up with him. And he's, whatever Ramon does, it's like everything he touches turns to gold. He's like the quarterback whisperer in the state of South Carolina or any other state he goes into because I've seen him 
uh, take a lot of quarterbacks that were good and make them really good. And, of course, uh, you know, knowing now that's where he's at, I, I expect him to continue to get better. But you've got guys all around him, Coach. You've got a good offensive line. You've got maturity. You've got, uh, of course, uh, a lot more, I would say, a solid foundation coming back maybe the first time in a couple of years uh, that you haven't had in a couple of years. Coach, kind of talk about your team and some of the dudes that we may hear their name as uh, Ashley, the voice of the Tigers, will mention them over the radio this year. Well, I want to start with the guys that really doesn't get a whole lot of recognition uh, during a game, and, and that's our offensive linemen. We have three offensive linemen returning. Um, we have uh, Nasir Larimore. We have uh, Hunter Cannon, and we also have – my mind is going blank. That's that's because I'm getting old. So we have Aubrey, <laughs> Aubrey Hunter, and uh, those guys will anchor our offensive line coming back this year. Uh, we have two experienced receivers in Chris DeWitt and Fred Ajavon. Those guys uh, started at some point during the year last year. Chris started all year, and, and Fred came along at the end of the year. So, you know, we feel like we have a, a good core coming back along with a uh, little quarterback who thinks he's the man, but he's not the man yet, uh, Carlton. And then we have Donovan Singleton coming back at, at running back. So, you know, we're excited about the number of players we have returning, especially those offensive linemen coming back from last year. And that's the most we've had since uh, 2017. So uh, we're just hoping that what we're doing and, and – with their experience that it would transfer to wins on Friday night. Now, of course, uh, we are live right now, virtually on the campus over Conway high school with the Conway Tigers head football coach. He also runs the offense and good as coach Carlton Terry joins us here. We are going to be followed up after we go to a small break and we will bring in the DC and he's going to talk about the defensive side of things. Of course, that's coach Bobby Turin. He'll be joining us here and this is his third season with you, Coach. Uh, talk a little bit about all these coaches, because one thing I can tell you, and it started uh, with the head coach uh, that used to be running the program, Coach Jordan, always surrounded himself with great dudes, because again, you want a good, see a good thing go when you watch the guys around you, right? And I think that's kind of something he's passed on to you, because I look at your staff and you see a lot of leadership, and let me ask you, did the uh, the, the gentleman that's been around Conway, I think the longest, is he, if he's still in the staff, or did he go back in retirement? Which one is that? You talking about the little, man think, who, you, the little man who went to uh, Carver's Bay and won championships, or? That would be the one. Enjoying this uh, last year, and uh, when when he talked about retiring, I went to him. I said, Coach, uh, I know some things on you, so you better uh, get ready to come to Conway to work. And uh, so we worked out a deal where he could come to Conway and, and, and spread his knowledge and expertise. But, you know, he's such a great leader. Um, he's been there for me in a lot of ways, um, not exactly trying to tell me what to do, but you know, I ask him questions, and 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 he guides me. Uh, he's another uh, coach Jordan for me, but uh, he does a great job with the uh, defensive line, and he's a great sounding board. 
I tell you, you continue to surround yourself with good dudes, and uh, you got a lot of talent all around you from the roster to the coaching staff. And I know the administration well up in that side of the world growing up there. Uh, big things coming out of Conway. Now let's quickly kind of go through your schedule. Oh, man, for the first time it seems like in forever, there's not a kid named Garcia playing at Carolina Ford. I swear I thought the kid should have graduated three years ago. <laughs> I was really like would have. Three years in a row. <laughs> It's kind of nice to hit the road and go to Carolina Forest. I know they've got other dudes coming up, but, man, Garcia was a special guy. And uh, that's, I guess, kind of become a rival game for you guys, isn't it? Because of uh, when they separated the line from Sacassee to Conway, they built the school in the middle called Carolina Forest, right? That is true. And uh, we lost several students, student athletes, to uh, Carolina Forest. And, you know, a lot of our kids go there. So it's a, it's a natural um rivalry for for us to have uh there's some instances where kids live across the street from each other but one goes to carolina forest and one goes to conway of course that'll be the second game i've skipped over st james no disrespect to the to the sharks they were the other school that was built after i graduated uh you know you you see things there that's kind of a hometown road Sockacy actually took a big hit out of that because that's where a lot of their speed was at down there in Burgess. You know, kind of talk yeah. a little bit about your first three. You, you talked about Carolina Forest. I know you got St. James and then Sockacy, the school where I went to school, new head coach there uh, as well. What are you thinking of your first three games that are probably the first uh, three closest schools to you? Well, you know, we started off at St. James, and they ended up beating us last year so we have uh, a little incentive to prepare and get ready to play them and, and have respect for them. Uh, they're well coached with Coach Norwood. He, he does a great job of, of teaching those kids, and he has a great staff as well. So uh, we look forward to the challenge of playing them for our first game. And uh, we have, of course, Carolina Forest next. Who Coach Morris does a great job with his program. They did lose uh, – Mason Garcia, but they also lost that that tailback. But uh, they have returning some some good linemen and, and good players behind them, and uh, that'll be a challenge as well. That's our first road game, and then we play Soccer C at home, which is uh, they have a new coach, so we really don't know what to expect, you know, from the coaching staff or, or their schemes or anything. But um, I'm quite sure he'll have his guys ready to play. Now, after that, of course, uh, you're home there against Sacacee, by the way, and you're also home against West Florence. You traveled to Sumter. Talk about West Florence, and then is it Sumter? Did they come back into the region? I thought It felt like they had left. Are they back in the, the same region with you guys again? Yeah, Sumter uh, left two years ago, and they played in a, a region near Columbia, and uh, we have West and South Florence on us in, in the region, but they left. They're in the region with uh, Myrtle Beach and North Myrtle Beach. Um, but Sumter, you know, that's a that's a tough task because they're big schools. They are known for having a lot of uh, great athletes. And, and over the years, we've had some great battles. And uh, a lot of those years, you know, the winner of the, the Sumter-Conway game was the, the region winner. So, uh, we welcome them back into the region, but it'll be a tall challenge because I know they have a lot of great players down there. 
Yeah, they got Mr. Boone who uh, continues to uh, get a lot of attention. But, I mean, you know, Coach, to be honest with you, Sumter Conway, very similar style athlete, very fast, very, uh, you know, able to get around and, and do what needs to be done. You guys always both have defensive ends that seem like it's like a Jadavion Clowney coming around the end on both sides. So it could be a David versus David coming in on the 29th. And then the final two games, uh, Coach, is uh, in Columbia where you'll be hosting Blythewood, but then you'll go to White – or you'll host White Knoll as well. So your last two games are at home. That's kind of a nice way to end the season before we hit playoffs. That is true. Um, you know, Blythewood has some talent. Um, I think they have the number one corner. Uh, I know in South Carolina, but I think he's one of the top corners in the country. So, you know, we'll have our work cut out with them. Um, as far as White know, um, I don't know much about them. Uh, I know that, you know, they have a good coaching staff, and I'm quite sure their guys will be ready to play as well. So it'll be a good challenge. It'll be a, uh, playing, you know, two teams that's not in the area. So the, the guys get exposed to somewhat of, of what they would see in the playoffs, you know, with, with quality talent coming from other areas. We're live right now, finishing up the interview with Coach here. He is out there at Conway High School, virtual tour here from Southern Sports Central down in Charleston all the way up to the Grand Strand in Conway, South Carolina, talking with the Tigers head football coach. Uh, coach, do you like the new thing? Even though I get it's a shortened season, you play all of your region games first, and then you get into uh, the non-region games at the end there. In, any thoughts on how things have kind of transpired in the last, I guess, uh, two or three weeks with two or three schedule changes? Well, you know, we want to play ten games, but uh, we can't. And uh, we'll take the seven games and uh, then go to the playoffs. But, you know, making sure that we get our region games in uh, good because that's what determines the playoff picture. So uh, we feel pretty good about, you know, our chances of of competing and and competing on a high level against our region. Our region is normally, you know, pretty competitive. So um, we're excited about getting back on the field and, and being able to play uh, seven games is better than none so uh, we're just getting ready to play football now the final question coach I'm going to ask you this because this came out in the college conversation earlier today on the show and it's been kind of echoed throughout the country is do you have any idea are they going to let the counties decide on the capacity of the seats because by county you know, you've got some counties that low numbers, some counties are high. How do you think they handle the amount of fans that are in, or do they treat it kind of like graduation where each player gets two tickets and that's just kind of the way they do it? Um, at this point, I don't know. Um, I was talking to our athletic director today, and uh, he said he still wasn't sure on the capacity that we'll have for fans in the stadium and and i i really hope that we have fans in the stadium it uh it gets the kids excited but um uh, i'm not totally sure on, on how much capacity we'll have as far as fans attending games you know i heard at one time it was only going to be 250 but you know as the ad said today he really doesn't know how many how many uh, fans would be able to attend the games. If it's 50% of capacity, then we'd be looking at around 2,500 fans. But 
I guess it will depend on, you know, the high school league and the parameters they set. And if they allow, you know, the different districts to make a decision, hopefully, we, you know, we'll be in a position where we can have uh, fans due to the low numbers uh, recently with the COVID virus. Well, luckily for you, you got one of the best in the biz up there, Ashley. Of course, he also played for Conway, and uh, I believe he was one of the reasons that Conway lost to Somerville many moons ago when a special play, I think, in the end zone that costed the Tigers a, a loss here in Somerville. But he is the voice of the Conway Tigers, and he'll be heard uh, from the kickoff all the way to the final zero on the clock. He does a great job covering Conway, and it means a lot more when you're right there, you're from there, and, of course, uh, I can't wait to catch up with him as well. But, Coach, it means a lot that you took time out after a busy day on the field and cutting the grass and coaching up the kids to join us tonight. And I do want to invite your team in here. You and I can catch up one-on-one, and you can send your offense one day and the defense the next. But I'd love to have an opportunity to introduce your football team to Southern Sports Central listeners. Well, we would love to uh, participate and uh I thank you for allowing us to uh, Conway football. Go Tigers. You got it, ladies and gentlemen, like that. He's one of the legends on the Grand Strand. And trust me, when I tell you he's been there, he's done that. And if you follow his lead, I can promise you the pastors are pretty green on the other side of it because you've seen Taka Hemingway, Brian Edwards, and you mentioned a whole lot of other dudes that have come through that program at Conway. And don't forget, he's got other dudes that have already come and gone that uh, I played against, and uh, I still maintain the friendship with these young men. And, of course, uh, we're going to take a quick break because we got to recap uh, some defensive stuff, and that is with their defensive coordinator who's jumping on the bus with us right now. So out of this commercial, we'll be in here with the D.C., the defensive coordinator from Conway High School. That is Coach Curran. Join us next right here on Southern Sports Central. Guys, don't go anywhere.
And welcome back, everybody. A quick little break there. That was our band up the way, up 26. And you look into Benedict College. That is uh, the horn section coming to you live right here on Southern Sports Central. I tell you what, HBCUs and the bands are where it's at, guys. If you've never been uh, to the Battle of the Bands in Atlanta, you don't know what you're missing. Of course, we're hoping to be broadcasting live next year because of COVID-19. It is not happening this year, but we are definitely uh, – all about the band, and it's a good time uh, on a Saturday afternoon. Now, that being said, it's a good time in Conway to stay in here with the Tigers, and we welcome in the defensive coordinator. Coach, uh, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us here on Southern Sports Central. Glad to have you with us. Guys, I appreciate you having me. Pleasure. So, uh, as we did, Coach Terry, Coach, introduce yourself to the listening base. Kind of tell us where you come from and, and the history and what landed you right there in the bright lights of uh, Conway and uh, Conway High School. Well, I um, I am originally from Baltimore, Maryland. I was born and raised there. I went to Towson University for undergraduate school, um, went for education. I'm a physical education teacher. Um, when I graduated there, I actually was hired on the offensive side of the ball, ironically, um, for a volunteer spot on a JV staff um, being a quarterback's coach. That season, we played against another school, another public school, and I had to replace the defensive coordinator because he had a wedding to go to. And we played really well on defense that day. And the opposite, the opposing head coach, actually, after the game, we had had a chat. And then after the season was over, he offered me the defensive coordinator position at his school because we had performed well. So that was my second year as a coach. And, uh, you know, I, I became a DC then. And and kind of rode the wave. I, I bounced around um, in Baltimore. I went from public school. I coached at a 1A school um, in East Baltimore. And then after that, I transitioned to the private school ranks in Baltimore. Um, went to two different private schools. And then two years ago, my wife and I made a decision to try to move south. Her, She has family that lives down here. So we decided to um, give it a try. I sent some resumes down. I was lucky enough um, that Coach Terry decided to give me an opportunity. So I, I we moved down here to Myrtle Beach. Uh, my wife coaches, I'm sorry, she teaches in the Conway area. She teaches math. So she was able to get a job. I got a job teaching, and I we fell in love with Conway. When we came down, you know, everybody introduced us as, as part of the Conway family, and that really stuck with us because that's how it is. I mean, people who are from Conway, you know, come back to Conway, and they love Conway. So I really wanted to be a part of a community like that. Um, so that's what got me here. And three years later, here we are, and I'm excited to get this season going. And he is the defensive coordinator of the Conway Tigers. And, uh, Coach, am I right by saying, didn't you get married in Surfside Beach, South Carolina? Is that is that where you guys tied the knot? We actually – we live in Surfside Beach, but we actually got married in Aruba. So – our uh, wedding pictures are on the beach, wedding. yes, but but it is in a room. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but we do live at the beach, yes. We live in Surfside. <laughs> you did live yeah, – and Surfside is the greatest place on earth, Coach. That's fine. It Don't sure tell me about is. the Conway. It is what it is. It, you know, it's true because it's on the Internet. It's a family beach. So, that being said, uh, Coach, uh, we do – we're glad to have you on the show here tonight, and I know you helped us uh, connect everything, getting in with Coach Terry, having him in, talking offense. So, we'll quickly talk about uh, the defense. And, uh, of course, you were – uh, the coach with uh, Mr. Taka Hemingway, who picked the Gamecocks. And a lot of people thought maybe he might go somewhere else, but it was South Carolina that got the nod. 
uh, how awesome was it for you? This is your third year coming in to be uh, kind of given a, a young man that I think when he was born, they knew he was going to be a college football player, possibly an NFL football player, but you had the opportunity to kind of fine tune him and coach him up. Well, I, I tell you, when I walked onto Conway's campus the first time in Saltonka, I knew I was blessed. You know, it's not every day that you <laughs> yeah. show up and, and you have a D lineman um, like him. But not only is he a great player, he's a great young man from a great family, um, and he works hard. You know, I, I can't take I can't take a lot of credit for Tonka Hemingway. You know, I, I was happy to have a small small you know slice in, in in coaching him, and we had a great time. And you know, I was blessed to have him there. And he, along with the rest of that defensive line, you know, we were just blessed, man. They were great. Tonka's a great young man. He's going to do great things in college and and hopefully beyond. Live right now with the defensive coordinator, Coach Bobby, joins us here on Southern Sports Central. Coming to you live from Conway High School virtual tour here is where he just got wrapped up with their head football coach. He, of course, hands us the defensive coordinator as we are going to uh, touch all the corners and all the off- uh, the defensive line and the linebackers. But what is it about Conway? And I know this from playing my days. It seems like you guys are just always fast. The secondary, shoulder to shoulder, it's, ta- it's hard to beat them to the point, and again, the defense, uh, the linebackers are always in that position, and that's the right position at the right place at the right time, and then that defensive line always putting pressure. What kind of drills, man, are you teaching these cats the last couple of years you've been over there? Because it seems like fine-tuning and upgrading is just what you guys do year in and year out. Well, we we are blessed at Conway. We have a, we have a great tradition of good athletes. Now, athlete, you know, your athletic ability only takes you so far. So, really what we try to do with coaches is we just want to fine-tune them in the, in the sense of getting their eyes right. That's a big thing that we stress there. We want their eyes to be right so they know what to look at, so they can diagnose what the offense is throwing at them so they can play fast. You know, in, in years past, you see a lot of defenses where they play kind of slow, they're slow to react, they're slow to get to the ball. So, our goal is just to train their eyes. You know, our players hear us say that all the time. We just want your eyes in the right place. We want to train your eyes. All of the drills we do have have to do with keys and reads, making sure that they can diagnose the play correctly and get there as fast as possible. Um, we are very lucky um, in, in the in the kids that walk our halls. You know, um, our students are, are fast, they're athletic, they're gifted, and they work hard. So really, as coaches, what we have to do is kind of harness that athletic ability, like you said. And when we do the drills, we got to make sure we get the most out of them so we can get them in the right place. But, again, it all goes back to their eyes and what, and what they're looking at. Hanging out with the defensive coordinator over here on Conway High School, Conway, South Carolina, home of the Tigers, as these guys come roaring through 2020, looking to make a big impact as they welcome Sumter back in the region. Sockacy's part of that. Of course, uh, Carolina Four, St. James, and uh, one of the teams out of Florence. We'll get a little bit of look out of that as well. But it is, of course, because of some of these big guys and big names, uh, introduce us, Coach, to some of the guys that we will hear on Friday night when Ashley goes live on the air, the voice of the Conway Tigers. Uh, who's some names that we could be hearing throughout that night's broadcast? Well, I, I think to highlight a couple for you, I wish I could, you know, go through all 22 on the side of the ball, you know, our two deep. But to highlight a couple, you know, it starts up front, our, our upcoming – lineman that you'll definitely hear a lot from is Jonah Freshly. Um, he's been, he was great last year. He's really been working hard. Um, my first year here, he actually split time, a little bit of linebacker, a little bit of D-line. Last year, he really focused on D-line and got pretty good at it. So when Tonka would come out or even we'd put them in together, 
Jonah is is really good with his hands. He's fast. Um, he has the size. So we're really really grooming Jonah to be kind of that next D lineman. Um, linebacker wise, you know, usually we have a hundred DBs and like three linebackers. This year, um, I am I'm very blessed. We have about eight linebackers right now. So that's fantastic. Um, it starts up front. It starts with them, with uh, Justin Sherman. He's he was there last year. He played more of an outside linebacker. This year, he'll play more middle. Um, he has really, really good instincts, and he's really good at finding the football. So I'm excited to get him in the box. You'll definitely hear a lot of him. He's number 22. On the back end, we have a lot. Um, you know, it starts with Jay, Jay Woodard. He's our uh, field safety, our free safety. He's kind of the captain back there. He's going to be the quarterback. He's going to give everybody the call to get everybody in the right position. We have a lot of guys that can play defense for us. We have another one, Chase. Um, he's a corner for us who cognitively, like over the summer, he's come such a long way learning the playbook. He's got the playbook inside and out. You know, our first meeting in person this summer, he was already telling me the calls. So that's really impressive. Um, but we have a lot of guys. I, I would probably need your whole radio show to go through the whole defense. <laughs> Conway's always had that, Coach. They've always had that speed in the secondary. It wasn't the factor that you could get a little bit of yards on the ground, but they would definitely be, you know, that big-time, fast, furious, threatening you to please try to throw over us because it's not going to happen very long. You hear that at LSU and you hear that at Texas A&M and other schools that like to say that they have – that ability, but I tell you what, growing up playing against Conway, uh, being a quarterback, it was it was never easy throwing on that secondary in the 90s, and I have watched enough film and talked to your radio guy, and I can tell you it seems like it's just a rich tradition, and from what I gather, it's a lot of the guys that I played with, it's their kids still there. They're playing and doing the same that their father did, so it's kind of a tradition over there at Conway. Yeah, yeah, you know, what was interesting to me, and my wife and I talk about it all the time, going back to the Conway family, you know, I think I'm only one of a few coaches on the staff that aren't doesn't have Conway roots. You know, everybody everybody I meet is from Conway. You know, they may have went away to school, but they come back to Conway. And I, I think that's really important. And, you know, coming from where I come from, where there's a whole lot of high schools and, you know, people bounce around, it's really nice to be at a place, you know, to call home and, and I was really blessed that Conway, not only the coaches, but the community, allowed my wife and I to come in and be a part of that family. So it, it's really exciting. We're live right now with a defensive coordinator as we're wrapping up our tour virtually up there on the Grand Strand in the big bright lights of Conway. It is small town USA. And I tell you what, Friday night uh, is something you got to even take in, or I would say uh, make sure that you add them to the list on a Friday night football frenzy of course uh coach bobby joining us here coach now you come from the north coaching down here in the south and you knew this question was coming because i i kind of prepped you a little <laughs> bit on this one because i i don't want to catch you off guard but let's just be honest we always talk about you know football down south is a religion it's a different deal friday night lights the whole town shuts down and it's just different what was the biggest transition from your days in baltimore maryland and when you came down here to uh small town USA's or just the state of South Carolina on a Friday night. What was, what was kind of the biggest things that you saw the difference between North versus down here in the South? Well, I remember in the, um, in my first scrimmage down here, I remember being in the grocery store and having and overhearing a conversation about how the linebackers had played in the scrimmage, um, the night before. So that was probably my first eye opening, like, wow, this is different. 
I will say that, you know, up in Maryland and down here, really the north, depending on where you're at, it's just different. You know, in, in Baltimore and in Maryland, in the public school system, there's really two levels. You have, like, the public schools, and, and within the public schools, you have really good public schools. There's, there's a couple of really good powerhouses and then kind of everybody else. So when you coach in the public school system in Maryland, it's like, you know, if, you, if you're at one of the better schools, you know you're going to win eight games that year at least, and then you're going to go into the playoffs. Then the private school system is totally different. Then you have private schools, and then they all can recruit, and then you play against each other, and, and then you get into the recruiting game in the high school league, and it's it can be a lot. And, and in Maryland, there's, you know, you can drive around the freeway in 20 minutes and pass five high schools. So there's a lot of movement. You know, uh, a kid could start at one public school, and then the next year he could transfer to a private school, and, and they can go back and forth. And it, there's not really any of that. There is hometown pride, but it's not quite the same right. because they can go to so many different schools. When I come down here, you know, there's a lot of schools in Maryland that play on Saturdays because they don't have lights. And I, my first school coaching, they had one set of bleachers, and that was it. So coming down here where every school has a stadium, we all play on Friday nights. It's just the the South is just different. We have spring ball down here. You know, it, my my wife and I always joke that, you know, up in Maryland, football is an extracurricular. Down here, it's a lifestyle. So it, it's <laughs> it very very different. <laughs> it's almost a flip flop because uh, if you look at the skis, and I'm not picking on skis, guys, what well, kind of am? But you know, they they understand <laughs> this. Okay, it, it's kind of like what you just described up north. Is the complete opposite down here in the South. And it's like that in basketball up there because, you know, all those Catholic schools up north, they're better at baseball in the in the private schools and basketball for the reason that you just mentioned. You know, there's two words that you got to be careful mentioning in the South. One of them is recruiting, right? And, yep. and the other yep. one is uh, what's that other word? If you're part of a, oh, it's called a union. Yeah, you're not allowed to use the word yeah. union and recruiting. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's like dropping a bad word in the churchyard. But nevertheless, uh, Coach, we're very excited to have you here. This is the first of many because I know Coach Terry's busy, but I'm going to also drag him back in here a lot. I've got a lot of respect for Coach, uh, you know, uh, being a guy that's from where you live. My mom and dad actually live on 3rd Avenue North. I don't know how far that is to you. Okay. Uh, my sister's on yeah. 6th Avenue South. So we might be pinched in between you, but uh, that's home to me. All right? So you're in my backyard, and when I come home, I'd love the chance to – Catch up with you, man. We go over to Plantation Pancake House in the morning. That's the only place I eat. That's the only place I eat in the morning. Now, at nighttime, we can pick a few <laughs> places. Or my buddy, they don't – you go to Meyer's Ice Cream, go ask Bruce. Hey, Rich sent me. He probably charged a double, but at least he, he'll tell you he knows me. But nevertheless. But uh, we appreciate what you're doing in our community. I appreciate what you're doing uh, just in general. Welcome down here. And uh, I know Coach Terry is glad to have you. Uh, your numbers are showing, man, the improvement. Things are happening in Conway and – uh, we're going to try to do something special on a Saturday morning. Either you, Coach Terry, or maybe one of the other coaches can check in in the morning and kind of recap with us and let us know what's going on. That uh, We do appreciate this, and uh, I'll catch up with you off the air so that we can get some of your dudes, some of these big flying defensive backs, the linebackers, the ones and the twos, and I'm sure you got some threes that we want to get on the air. But I got three hours, man. We'll make it happen. That sounds great. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure as ours, Coach. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. You too. Thank you. You got it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll bring back Eugene, and I will tell you this. Coach Terry, I know you're still kind of hanging out listening. Thank you so much for allowing us 
to venture onto Conway grounds to be a part of a virtual tour. We've been doing this as we were in Malden on Sunday, Conway tonight. We also hit uh, the hallways of Oceanside Academy. That happened at 730. Who knows where we land Thursday night? Ladies and gentlemen, this is just begun. We are going to try to talk to coaches across our state. And then once we get their coaches in, it opens the door for their players. And we are really excited, Eugene, to continue to see the growth of not only my dream and your dream, but it's our dream. And we have partnered with the South Carolina High School Blitz. That's our buddies in the upstate. Of course, Ms. V is in the middle of the state, so we got it covered, okay? We are definitely looking forward to a lot of things. We'll be in Charlotte broadcasting live right here on Southern Sports Central on Saturday. Stay tuned for the airtime because we're going to get situated, get there. We're not going to kick off as soon as they kick off because we want to get situated at the Carolina Experience. That's going to be over there in Matthew, North Carolina, with a lot of the great guys uh, that put it on the first time around. And uh, this is going to be the second round. And I did get a uh, text message uh, from uh, Jason Wade. He is the uh, CEO of Infinity. They have now officially set a September date at the 12th. They're going to be over there on September 12th and Sunday, September 13th. Uh, working with the high school and the middle school. This is going to be over there in River City Sportsplex in Virginia between 12 and 4. Again, uh, we'll get that out there to you here in just moments. But, Eugene, a great interview, not only with a great player from Oceanside, but two great, really great guys and the head football coach who I've had a chance to get to know year after year and being from that side of the world and being an Horry County guy like himself, you know, we, we kind of take care of our own. Yeah, and I know if uh, Coach is still listening, looks like he's still listening, or something just came across uh, social media. I put it out on our platform on Twitter for now. Uh, we'll hit up some other spots. Just an interesting thought out to head coaches uh, and athletic directors being that, as we've learned a valuable lesson in 2020, is that nothing's ever given to you and don't take anything for granted. Uh, so I saw it from a couple of high school coaches was, uh, you know, why not, uh, instead of taking a risk of the last home game of the year, why not make your senior night the first home game of the year, uh, you know, for those guys who are playing? And uh, let's see if we can't send these guys off so they can get that moment. So I just want to put that out there because uh, I thought that was a heck of an idea that someone put out there, um, you know, because, again, you know, we, we saw what happened with the spring sports folks. So if uh, the high school coaches are listening in, following on social media, uh, just something to consider. Uh, doing might be a nice gesture because, again, you know, one valuable lesson we learned, don't take anything for granted because what you may have Ooh. today, you may not have tomorrow. But, you know, it was a great show. Uh, again, I've known uh, Jacob for going on three years. I know his parents. His dad's one of my closest friends. Lisa, his mom's an, uh, a beautiful, wonderful lady who works hard and keeps the uh, the Ashley family running as, long as, as well as many things she does to help Coach Call and the football program out over there. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, the coaches there at Conway, uh, you know, what can you say? You know, it's a program that, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Somerville being in the state of South Carolina, you know, Conway could be one in the argument for, you know, one of those storied programs or the most storied program uh, in the state of South Carolina just because of, you know, it, it's been a tradition of winning. You know, they've had one of those longtime coaches, and then they replace him with another coach who's also, you know, grew up there, played there come back there, started his coaching career there, now taking over the helm. You know, and then uh, ending up with the defense coordinator, what a great story coming down from Baltimore 
you know, picking a place. His wife's an educator. He's in education. You know, they're both, uh, you know, helping and serving the community in that regard. You know, by the way, he's coaching as well. He's a defense coordinator, and I thought that was a kind of a funny story how he, you know, ended <laughs> up with a defensive coordinator job. Just, you know, happened to be the dude there at one game on a JV game and uh, had the defense on point, man, made the good calls, made the right plays, put guys in the right place to make those plays, and the guy comes across the field, shakes his hand, and offers him a job. So, you know, you never know who's watching, and you never know who's, you know, who's, uh, you know, looking at you to see if they want to make a move. So, you know, it's kind of one of those life lessons, man. Don't take anything for granted in that sense as well. You know, he, he just took that opportunity and look where he's at now. He's at a 5A program, one of the top programs in the state. You know, he's putting dudes in the, at the next level, you know, like you mentioned, Tonka and guys like that. And so, um, you know, it, it's a heck of a resume for he's building. He, he's a young guy. You know, we'll see if he how long he stays because, you know, we know what happens to coordinators that do really well. They they win games and put guys to the next level. Somebody else gives them a call. So, you know, it would be interesting to follow his career. I'm, I'm sure the coaches would love to have him stay there at Conway, and it sounds like, you know, he and his wife have embedded themselves <laughs> in the community and love it. So, man, it's been a great show. Uh, looking forward to Thursday again. Like you mentioned, on Saturday, heading up to Charlotte uh, to do the showcase series again. Then on Sunday – I have a guy coming down from Charlotte um, who's a very uh, renowned kicking coach, but he's also a great uh, scout, really, and a developer of talent. He develops some of the top talents. And if you want to pick a school uh, of about 30 states that, you know, if you were to draw a line from South Carolina and put it on a string and kind of map out the country on this side of the country, he's got guys on every level uh, on those teams playing special teams. So, I know a bunch of guys, three of the guys that I train are looking forward to working out with them on set on Sunday, and uh, hopefully that workout will lead to some scholarship offers for them. And, you know, best of luck to all the juniors. And, you know, we're countdown to, to 9-1, to September 1st, when those phone calls and text messages and start coming in. You know, best of luck to these guys. You know, if they get a chance to get these camps, you know, you're running out. You run out of time. They go do it. Put in the work. See if you can get a phone call on September 1st. Yeah, you're exactly right. And kind of recap a little bit there, uh, Eugene dropping a ton of knowledge there. And, and I'm going to think of, you and I are talking a little bit about maybe broadcasting something on the uh, Sunday event because, you know, these kickers don't get a chance to participate in some of these other combines. And, and we do live events where we give the guys there uh, a little bit of love. So maybe that's something that we need to think about off the air. Now, I do want to say when it comes to Conway and it comes to Somerville, where I live at in Somerville, it is very similar. I mean, the, the color schemes have some similarity there. The history has some things there. But even the towns, again, I've never lived in Conway. I've spent a lot of time over on that side of the river as uh, I grew up in Surfside, but I would make that road down 501 and cross over uh, by the power plant to my right, and I would go into Conway. I never cruised the mall. That's kind of a big thing back in the day there. But but I understood a lot of dudes there. Jason Bellamy was a good friend of mine, and I already mentioned Josh Rush and Timmy Whitaker, and I played Conway post-111 baseball. Coach Causey, who, you know, was one of the greatest coaches uh, in, in baseball. Didn't say much, wasn't the tallest guy, but one of the most lovable dudes, and, and he would take you in. And it was a team that was built around Sockasee, Myrtle Beach, Conway, North Myrtle Beach, Ainer would come in with some of those big farm guys, and we would have a hell of a baseball team in post-111 coming out of Conway where we would go against Sumter and some of the teams out of Flor- the team out of Florence and across the state. And it was just – it was so fun to play with the guys that you were competitive with forever. And it was almost 
you know, a, a, a many blessings, being on the uh, on many all-star teams, uh, you know, getting a chance to play in high school uh, with uh, a lot of those guys as well. So, you know, you, you look back at the life and, and the lessons, but you look at the blessings as much as you look at all the other stuff. And, Eugene, I think you nailed it. Coaches, please consider this. Thank you, Eugene, for sharing that. Consider making your first home game your senior night. I know we want a perfect storm and we want the perfect way and send them the way, but what if? Because I'm thinking that if the spring sport coaches knew what was going to happen, they probably would have made it parent night and senior night all in one. It doesn't take away from the excitement for the rest of the year. But we're telling these kids on the air, we're telling them everywhere, play every down like it's your last down. We've heard that as athletes and even at my age of 42, you know, I do that on the radio. I, I, I make it to where this could be my last broadcast, so I want to go out with a bang. And when I get compliments, you know, from parents or, or guests come back at me, man, it means the world to me. And, and I do it what I do because I love what I do. I love being able to help these young men. I love hearing these coaches, the passion. You heard Coach Terry talk about his days and playing and being a mentor under, you know, not only the coach there at Conway, but the guy who he brought on his staff and the personality that he had. I mean, to me, guys, for you who've never been an athlete, yet you don't understand what it's like. It's not just about the wins and losses on a field because those come and go. Those are easy. It's the memories. It's the, the things that we – that we go through. He talked about the bus ride, even more related to Somerville and Conway is that Somerville gets on the bus every day to go to their stadium. Conway did the same thing. And the bus ride home after a win was almost like getting extra recess. If you're a young kid, the celebration was phenomenal, but the ride home, man, it was the longest ride you could ever have. I could only imagine back in those days, even though it was guaranteed to be a 20 minute bus ride, Either he took a couple of extra streets or he went a little bit slower, but it seemed to be just a little bit longer than it was the time before. Same thing goes at Somerville. Same thing goes for a lot of those things when you have these type of special memories that make those special moments. You know, blessings are things that come, and I don't think we realize it at the moment. But as you get older, you know, I remember my dad used to say, son, someday you'll understand what I'm saying. And you'll look back and it'll be the cats in the cradle song that'll be playing because the same thing I'm telling you, you're going to tell your son and he's going to tell me or tell you the same thing you told me. You don't know what you're talking about. But at 34 years old, I remember reaching out to my father and I said, dad, I've been running these things for 33 years. I'm going to put them out and I'm going to now go your way. I'm going to listen to what you say. It ain't all been easy because I had a lot of fixing to do, but I got to tell you, man, I thank God for coach Terry. I thank God for every coach that's come across our airwaves, I thank God for every coach that's come across my personal life who took time to believe in me when no one else did. And Ian Green said that about our good friend Chad Illing. Of course, we call him Coach Coach Chill. He said that nobody else believed in me, but, you know, Coach Chill, you did. Those are the memories that will forever last. The wins and losses, yeah, we'll remember them. But it's the moments like that that things we'll cherish forever. So tonight we say enjoy tonight, enjoy tomorrow. We'll hopefully see you on Thursday night at 6 o'clock. We'll bring in here Jay Williams from the South Carolina High School League. We'll recap their jamboree over the weekend. We also have the Wando, the new Wando head coach is going to join us as well, guys. So we got him, them, and a few more. It's been a great show, Conway High School. God bless you. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. Coach Terry as well as Coach Bobby, thanks for participating in our campus tour tonight, as well as the big man on campus over there at Oceanside. That was. 
Jacob Ashley, guys. We'll get more players, more coaches, and we recap more headlines coming up on Thursday night right here on Central. I'm Richie Altman, and that's Eugene Benton. We got one more before we hit the road to Charlotte on Saturday, guys. God bless. Take care, and until next time, stay safe. Like I stood Been in the walk around the neighborhood